All right. Book schmooze. Season, season two. two. Season two. Let's season go. Two. Season two with a new microphone. New microphone. Microphone. Okay. Was it worth it buying this microphone? We'll see. We'll see. Was so it let's worth reading this book? Was it worth reading this book? We'll see. Is it red or is it wick? Anyway, let's have a to toast. <laughs> let's have a toast to season two of to uh, season two. Season two of book schmooze. Book schmooze. Let, let's make it so that the microphone hears it. <laughs> yeah. Go. Perfect Cheers. Sound. Cheers. Crystal clear. Five hundred euro microphone. Oh, anyway. <laughs> Do you like the wine? All right. Let's talk about the wine. Can Can you give me the bottle? Just joking, right? No, okay. literally. Please give me that. It's interesting. <laughs> so this is a Toro Loco. Toro Loco. Tinto Superior. UTL Requena. Denominación de Origen Protegida. Protegida. Ooh, it has got the 25th Be Berliner Wine Trophy. <gasps> wow. Fancy. 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 It's a very fancy wine. It was uh, brewed in the year 2020. And you had a white, white wine. Yes, mine is a Grüner Weltliner by Nigel. Mm -hmm. it's, it's got a nice... What's the name of this plant? Okay, it's, okay what, what plant is this? Ah, I forgot the name. The spiky one. The spiky one. The spiky one. The I don't know what's that The spiky thing on it. Anyway, so mine, my wine tasted like... Uh, like a grape juice with a note of alcohol, just like all wines taste like. They all taste the same, and it's uninteresting. Wines are uninteresting. They all taste the same. Do you agree? Of course not. Why? Because Why mine, mine tastes a lot different from yours. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, you know what? Like, test no, me. Just you need no, 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 no. It's not about that. Tastes the same. You. You know, you need to read it like a Machiavellian because you need to make a difference between the formal meaning and the real meaning. What's the real meaning? And the formal meaning of that statement, maybe it's literally false. You know, they don't taste exactly the same. See? But the real meaning is like wine connoisseurism. <laughs> it's fake. It's all, it's fake and it's irrelevant. They don't taste, it's, it's meaningless how they taste. Who cares? Well, some people care. Yeah, well, it's boring. Well, you don't care. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care how one okay. tastes that. That's the real meaning. You didn't figure <laughs> out the real, real meaning. real meaning for you. You okay. didn't figure it out. Okay. I don't think that's as brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. I'm brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good. Anyway, Enough of that. Enough of that. Let's, Let's get to the book. Let's start with... What's the title of this of this the masterpiece? The title is um, The Machiavellians, Defenders of Freedom by... James Burnham. Mm -hmm. Burnham. Interesting. Yeah. It was written in like... 1941 or something, right? Oh, we didn't... I think so. It, it was like... 43. 1943. 1943. Right. So, so it was written like almost in the middle 80 of, year ago. In the middle of World War II. During World War II, was it's unclear whether the... U.S. was already at war with Germany at that no, point? Not. I'm not, not I sure. Um, I think it, it wasn't clear what the outcome was going to be. In 43? Yeah. 
Well, but then when was the whole Had the whole the battle of Stalin already taken place? Huh? When was the Stalingrad disaster? That was that was that was before forty three, right? Yeah, maybe during forty three. Yeah, but they had like. Because I think this was a. Anyway, it's in the middle of the war. The stance of the U.S. We don't currently know it. Mm-hmm. But um. It, but James Burnham is is American, right? Or is yeah, he, yeah. Oh, actually, uh, yeah, he's American. yes, he is. Na- yeah, I'm ninety five percent sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and um, this book actually got um. Like some uh, a bunch of interesting people are recommended all the time. Mm-hmm. For example, what I, interesting people? I've got three. Are you talking about number one? Um, this guy called Curtis Yarvin, aka Mencius Moldbug, and uh, this the Scott Alexander has a has a large um, anti-reactionary FAQ or something or reactionary yes, FAQ yes. that's largely and, and anti both of them. Yeah, but he's got both of these FAQs, and it's largely about the ideas that. Uh, so Mencius Moldbach. He's a monarchist, developed. right? So yeah, yeah. He's he has like really, but the guy is like super intelligent. He's like highly intelligent. A big fan. Yeah, and he's super interesting. He's got like really contrarian and like well thought out opinions. But um, he basically says that we're living in an oligarchy and that uh, democracy doesn't. We don't live in a democracy, and monarchy works works better anyway. So um, he's a he's a really interesting character. Yeah, but that's probably why he likes the Machiavellians because the Machiavellians also. Yeah, yeah, he's probably very much inspired by. Yeah, probably by that yeah. stuff. And then another guy called Michael Mellis. He's the guy who he's also got a podcast. He um, he's his podcast almost as popular as, as ours. <laughs> um, he's like an anarchist. Okay. Yeah, and he also really likes this book. He says, well, maybe you can keep it in our heads. Look, how, how can you reconcile Burnham's ideas with anarchy? Because there is like, um, he has like some paragraphs about anarchy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Basically, if I remember correctly, telling us that it doesn't work because, you know, you, you need like hierarchies and there's always like yeah. a leadership group in these systems. Yeah, there's no ever, no real democracy, but then also no real anarchy because there's always a leader. Like, yes, yes. Human society doesn't work without. Yeah, and this Michael Mattis guy, he also wrote this book, Dear Dear Reader. Um, it's like about the history of the North Korea, so yeah, it's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And then another person that recommends this book, Mark Andreessen, ah. the guy who did the first uh, first real browser, the Net, the Netscape um, browser, mm-hmm. venture capitalist, then venture capitalist at A sixteen Z with Ben Horowitz. Yes, he also likes this book. So. All kinds of uh, different characters seem that to really like. like this book that I find interesting. <laughs> right. um, like this book, so we decided to read it and um, think about it and, you know, figure out why all these people like it so much. <laughs> it's not my my main concern why these people like it. But what is yeah. your main concern? <laughs> why I like it. Why you like it, okay. All right, let's go. So how do we start? <laughs> part now? one. Okay, go yeah. through the parts. Yeah, let's go through the parts. That. How many parts part. does the book have, and how are the chapters called? <laughs> no, but actually, I think that's quite. Um, it's well organized. Yeah, it has a nice structure. <laughs> no, I've, no, I think it's quite. It's it's quite a bit of interesting history in the book as well. Did you also think that? So, history. Yeah, because the. the the, the 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 historical figure of Machiavelli is pretty in- interesting himself. So, um, but interestingly, Burnham starts out with Dante. Well, the, the Dante who wrote the wait, but like in general, 
like he calls this book the Machiavellians. Yeah. And he largely like talks about the ideas of some other people who he calls Machiavellians. Yeah, exactly. And what unites these people, they have different different political opinions. But he he's he he thinks that Machiavelli was uh their very kind of role model or something. Yeah, and he was very, very real. He had like the characteristic of, you know, this is not about what I want to be true, how mm. I want politics to be. This is more about like the, the how it sci- actually like the is. Science thing. Yeah, he makes it. Yeah, yeah, he, he used in he, a, in a scientific. He was the first, the first one literally to kind of apply scientific method to analyze to analyze politics. I think this well, is I don't the know point he makes. But that's real... the point he makes. Okay, he says that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he says that. Yeah, well, I agree in a way because like Machiavelli was like so this. He's, he's is trying this. to be really analytic about. Yeah, and he's got like concrete steps. Yeah. Like this is how you've got to act to achieve these and the this goal. It's not like, you know, maybe Aristotle, who I haven't read, but, you know, I have this impression from him that it's, like, not really practical. But, like, I feel like Machiavelli is quite practical. Like, he has some, like, tips and tricks. Uh, but hacks, life hacks. From, because I read quite a bit about Machiavelli himself. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, well, maybe, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this later. Well, like, I read The we Prince. Talk about the, but, yeah, yeah, if we talk about Machiavelli for a bit. But... Anyways, so, um, so the, yeah, the Machiavellians are, I think, three or four different philosophers, kind of, or mm-hmm. pol- like... Let's polit- list them. Yeah, so it's Gaetano Mosca, that's the first one. Never heard of him before. Before that. Wait, 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 wait. What part one is Dante? Dante is not a Machiavellian, though. Dante is the, the anti-Machiavellian. Ah, yeah, he is He's like... He's the one who wrote um, ah. <laughs> La Divina Commedia. The Divine Comedy, exactly. Yes. Yeah, That's, with the circuits yeah. of hell and stuff. Is exactly, and he also he wrote the Monarchia, which mm-hmm. is a political piece of work. Yeah, yeah, and it has and a formal is, meaning and a real meaning. Yeah, and, and this yeah. is just exactly the opposite of Machiavelli, really. Yeah, yeah. And this is why he this talks is about not him. real. This is like like kind of bullshit. Like the the Monarchia, it's. Uh, it's yeah, not but like, I, I didn't understand. Did you do you, do you remember that part? I didn't. I. I I didn't really understand, like, that was, well, I, I think that I was a super that, complex part. Like, J- James Burnham, in general, he says that, like, all these, like, most of these thinkers are, like, bullshitters. Mm-hmm. Basically, they tell you, like, something, and it's all, like, it's all, like, empty verbiage, and, like, words, and, like, ideals, and maybe, like, like utopias, but it's all not, it's it's not actionable, and it's, like, kind of bullshit, you know? Except these guys, except, like, Mosca, and who else is there? Sorel? Georges Sorel, Michel and Michael's. Pareto. Is it Wilfredo yes, Pareto yes, from the Pareto the, Principle? Exactly. It's exactly that Pareto. Nice. Um, so, yeah. So that's basically it. So he first talks about Dante as the anti-Machiavellian, then Machiavelli himself, and then mm-hmm. the other, the, the Machiavellians. All right. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, Dante kind of, he wrote the Monarchia. Mm-hmm. And they, this was... I think it was more of a historic, like a history book kind of. Um, and yeah, there's this real meaning of it and the formal meaning. All right. And so Burnham, Burnham says there's a formal meaning yeah. of this book. If you just read the words and like what they say. Yeah. And he says it's bullshit. It's yeah, like, exactly. But, but especially because Dante, Dante was because of the, the, the personal history of Dante. Mm-hmm. So he was apparently, he was, he also lived in Florentine, like in Florence, like mm-hmm. Machiavelli just like 150 years earlier. And I think he was a politician or something at the time. And he, in, the, in the end, he got expelled. 
um, because power has changed in Florence. And so the real, the, so, so he wrote the monarchy and he was actually trying to justify the goals of his group, apparently. Yes, yes, there's this complicated... Yeah, it's very complicated. There's like the Ghibellines. And the Guelphs. There are like two factions and, you know, and this whole book Some, is really about this conflict. Or like yeah. it's really about making his side appear good. Yeah, that's the monarchia. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So justify the goal of, I think he's, he was Ghibelline or something. I don't know. The, yeah. Okay. So that's, that's the whole, the monarchia. Mm -hmm. And then Machiavelli is exactly, has a completely different approach. Um, but I think Machiavelli is, as a, as a historical figure is extremely interesting because he was basically, so he wasn't only a philosopher and a writer, but he was actually a minister, ambassador, diplomat. And I think he met like the most interesting people living in Italy at the time. So he met Who? the Pope, uh, Machiavelli. Oh, he got yeah. to meet the Pope. He got to meet all sorts of different dukes, princes, like the one, one guy, Borgia, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, Cesare. Cesare Borgia. Or like one of the Borgia guys, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so he was, I think at some point he was always sent out by Florence to just observe the people in power. Yeah, but I heard, I heard that Machiavelli was, was kind of unsu unsuccessful. He wasn't like, a, he wrote the prince, like, but he was never like a prince. He was never like a, that kind of leader no, no, in his life. No, no, he no, was but more that, of like a, no, no, but that's the thing. He started out as an, like, when he first got elected kind of minister, Florence was a, was a republic. Mm -hmm. And the, because the Medici, the really famous um, Florentine family, who also, um, like some popes were from the Medici family, they're extremely, extremely famous all over the world for their um, arts collection and everything. So the, the Medici were, ex were expelled from Florence and mm -hmm. then it became a republic. And that's when Ma Machiavelli first got into office. So he was kind of a, a high bureaucrat in, Fl in, in Florence. Mm -hmm. But then... The, the Medici came back and then he was, so I think it's a, like his, his, the story of his life is ex extremely interesting and extremely, and in the end, so he, he had to go into exile. And this is when he wrote Il Principe and he ah, wrote okay. that to actually appeal to the new Medici. Oh, to get so him back to yes, the, something yeah, like that, yeah. yeah. To get noticed again. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But it didn't work. Didn't work out, yeah. Yeah, he was also tortured, so he wrote. Oh, really? Yeah, he wrote the books, like the because he wrote in print. And, and there's another one, I think it's about the Republic. It's uh, called. I don't really know what it's called, but it's there's another one that's about the, um, the ideal image of a republic without a monarch, and this is also quite quite interesting. I know there's there's it's discourses a, on Livy. Yeah, that's it. That's is it. That it. Yeah, I, I no, don't it's think actually a commentary on discourses something on. Yeah. Livy, yeah. What is Livy? Um, I think it's a Roman. All right, Roman what? Roman history writer. History person. Yeah. All yeah. right. Mm -hmm. All right. So, but he wrote both of these books with his hands crippled from the torture, apparently. He wrote both of these books with, with crippled his, hands. Ah, with crippled hands, yeah. little crippled hands. Yeah, right. the, his hands look all like shaking. Where, like, Injured from the, yeah, from the torture it suffered. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah, did you know that? I bet you didn't. No, that's a nice uh, fun fact. Yeah. So he, I think he's, like, he got to meet all these 
extremely interesting people mm-hmm. and also i think these this these times in italian history were extremely complex political times and extremely brutal mm-hmm. as well and turbulent i think mm, that's yeah. part of why why the prince is so seems so brutal as well because i think the times were just in, like i think florence was captured and recaptured over and over again the powers changed all the time it's just an extreme and then later in italy there was the garibaldi guy right who kind of united it yeah but that was like 200 300 years that was later. way later yeah. Okay. Yeah. and actually th- that guy i think these people also referred to machiavelli because machiavelli tried to always um told people to like that italy need to be needed to be reunited because it was just like you know towns like mm-hmm. c- the cities city states mm-hmm. yeah. city states like venice florence mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he very much thought that italy should be united which is why the garibaldi people kind of liked machiavelli but really burnham says um that he didn't really want italy united in the way that il risorgimento wanted it to be but rather to defend it against external mm-hmm. enemies. So Machiavelli didn't didn't have the state of Italy in mind All right. when he said that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you read the Prince. What? Yeah, I, I read that, what the to prince. do with the Prince. Why is it so? Well, I think one of the reasons it's famous. so popular is that it's really short. Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. just like fifty pages or something, or very short, and it's very interesting. And it's yeah, it is kind of real, you know. Like one of the things that stuck was um, he makes this uh, differentiation between like fox being being lion. yeah the fox and the lion you know the lion is like the kind of military guy you know the kind of like a republican like a like right right wing person like I mean like a current republican in the U S uh, kind of thing like a conservative like a, like a military person and then there's the fox he's like the sneaky man he he's like a little bit uh, you know he's like smart Mister Smarty Pants but he's also they, each of them has drawbacks, like, cause the, 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 the lion is kind of brute force. You know, he can't win against, um, wits. Against wits, like a trap. Mm-hmm. But the, the, but he can, he beats the hyenas, like, cause mm-hmm. the lion is way stronger. Yeah. Like, he has, like, military. He's ready to use brutal force. Exactly. But the fox is kind of, you know, he can figure out the trap, but a bunch of hyenas will kill him cause he's not, uh, not so, uh, strong. And Machiavelli basically says, you, you gotta be, like, you got to be the best of both worlds. You know, mm-hmm. you've got to be a lion. You've got to, you got to be smart like a fox, but then you also got to be like, take dust Car- off the like, old guillotine and like chop some heads off. Yeah. If, if I that... think that's what, uh, what the border guy actually did. Yeah. That's why yeah. Machiavelli apparently deeply admired him because yeah, he was yeah, the, very the sneaky. And then when, which he... is strange because you just said he wanted to uh, be on good terms with the Medici, but the Borgia is like the arch, arch nemesis of the Medici, right? Yeah. But the, but the border was already killed at that point. Oh, all right, yeah. all right. The border was already removed like three times <laughs> when okay. he wrote Il Principe, I think. But the, but because border actually at some point invited his enemies to his town mm-hmm. or to city and it killed them all. And this. Ah, yeah, yeah. And, and he found it really cool. Like, yeah, Machiavelli was really, like, yeah, nice, good move. Like, he found that really extremely courageous. He, he invited them to have like a feast. Yeah, and then he killed And them then he just fall. like, yeah. yeah, I'm gonna kill you, kill all of you fuckers. Nice. Yeah, and then Machiavelli was well, really showed courage. Nice, nice move. <laughs> Smart move. <laughs> but was so it a good what, move politically just to kill them all? 
Um, well, I think I don't. What was the really outcome made, of it? I don't really know what happened to Border, but he didn't stay in Florence very long. So he was. But you think you make you make a lot of enemies if you just like kind of like act like that, you know? Yeah. Just stab them in the back. But that's actually that's what happened all the time in 15th century. Ah, uh, it was like, like it was like expected. Like even the people going to the feast were like, ah, maybe we'll get stabbed, <laughs> but you know, we'll have some nice ham, burn ham. <laughs> At least it's something. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was crazy times, I think. Anyway, what, what, what Machiavelli also said, what, uh, what, what I just remembered, it's like a, I, I read, um, like two years ago, The Prince. But one thing I remember is, um, uh, first, don't trust like mercenaries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, actually, if you, yeah. If you pay the mercenaries like to, to fight for you, you know, they're gonna be like, they're gonna be like unmotivated. And if, if, uh, you know, How do you say it in English? Push comes to shove, you know, they're going to leave you. They're going to be like, betray you and just take the money and just hang around. And, you know, maybe you can still apply it to today. Like a mercenary is kind of like, what is a mercenary is maybe like, um, like, uh, I don't know, like a freelancer that you buy or like an external consulting company that you, that you hire to do your bidding. And, you know, he says like those are basically kind of, kind of useless. They don't have your interests at heart. But if the people like you, you know, the regular people, that, that army made up of regular people actually living there, which is not a professional army maybe, is, is, uh, is still way better. And the third thing I remember, which is really interesting that made me think from, uh, from Machiavelli, uh, from uh, The Prince, is that like if you're like, a, if there are two big states fighting like mm -hmm. a war, yeah. two nations fighting a war, and you are like a third party, um, you're like a neutral party for you. It's, um, it's way better to not stay neutral, to just like pick a side, pick a side. Don't stay neutral. Why? Like, like the argument was like, well, if you pick the winning side, it's great. You yeah, know, you, you, you won. Mm -hmm. Obviously. If you pick the losing side, you are, well, of course, yeah, you kind of, you kind of fucked, right? You, you lost. But maybe the other pilot power will still like respect you. But if you're like neutral, both of them will like, will treat you like shit or something. Okay. Well, it was more convincing yeah. when. From the way you put it, I don't think it's Yeah, it was kind of stupid. But, but Machiavelli, but you know, but there's, there's, yeah, but, but that's you can the still thing about think about, like just think about it, this concept. And then it makes perfect sense. But then if you try to. No, but it's, it's like food for thought. You know, you can think about this. There are often situations like this. And like, if you're neutral, like whatever, maybe Poland, no, Poland wasn't really neutral, but I feel like, some, but you know, sometimes being well, neutral, 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 but Switzerland is like super it worked, successful. Worked yeah. out really well for them. But that, see, that's the thing. Like, I don't think, like, what I learned is that do you, I think a lot, a lot of the things Machiavelli says should probably be viewed in the, viewed in the, in the kind of situation that he wrote them. And mm -hmm. so in 15th century Italy, it was definitely not a good idea to be neutral because you would be crushed by either side. You needed some strong, uh, you needed strong partners. I disagree. I think it's very applicable to today. I don't think it is. Why not? Well, just uh, what I said, I think he, many of the things he wrote were, like for so example, what, what he just, what like he for example, observed. We have the Ukraine war right now, right? Mm -hmm. So you have, you have either the Russia, China side, Or you have the Western side. Mm -hmm. Who is neutral? Like, I feel like the ones that are neutral are disliked by both parties. Or maybe, like, if you're neutral, it's kind of you're on, like on the Russian side. 
you know maybe it's maybe there's not really a neutral party there well i, I don't know I, yeah i don't think i don't know who's neutral who's neutral in the russian ukraine conflict who's like really like neutral we, yeah maybe india so. yeah i was i was thinking of india as well but i don't think I but think I, they, feel, i feel like neutral means like you're on the russian side basically yeah, i don't know yeah it's a bit what what about what about white 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 russia belarus what yeah they are on, on they are definitely side, on definitely. russian side yeah, yeah. They are clearly on the Russian side, yeah. but like I'm, I'm thinking like who is more, who is who gained more. Anyway, whatever. It's anyway, it's interesting. It's interesting, yeah. And I think there are ways you can apply it to to today's time or your life. Okay. Um. Or you play if you're playing chess and you you're like neutral. Like, what does it even mean? You know, it's a bad move. Anyway, well, there's only two players in chess as well. Okay, let's go. What else is there? Um, well, there's some some um, essential kind of terms that he uses. Who? That's uh, Machiavelli, and it's virtù. Okay. And that's the political drive, mm-hmm. like the energy to do things. I felt like it was the the Wille zur Macht. The Wille zur Macht from Nietzsche. Ah. Yeah, and he thinks that this is what what really drives nations to thrive and drives em- um, empires, like the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Virtù. <laughs> Ooh. It's just courage, bless you. Yeah, it's like it's being... Courage and, and this drive. Yeah, like being high energy. Like, yeah, you know? exactly. Mm-hmm. So this is an essential thing if you if you want to become politician. Virtuous, or high energy, you know, yeah, like yeah. someone who like does stuff. Um, another thing is fortuna, the fate mm-hmm. and good luck. Mm-hmm. But that's just um, that's just coincidence. And she says that success is made only is only made up half by fortuna. Yeah, yeah. And the rest is is virtu and practical preparation. Mm-hmm. So you shouldn't. And I think he he criticizes some, um, you know, some cities relying too much on fortuna instead of virtu. Okay, he's basically saying there's luck and yeah. there's skill. Yeah. And uh, yeah, don't rely too much on. Don't on rely luck. on luck. Yeah, like make your make, own luck. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, That's cool. It's yeah. a nice distinction, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Wille zur Macht. Yeah, that's the basics. Okay, that's but Machiavelli. That, but actually, himself. yeah, yeah. So, what's the what's Machiavelli's credo? Like, what's the what do you think is the basic message from Machiavelli that can be transferred to the Machiavellians or that the Machiavellians well, picked up? I feel like well, Machiavelli is like, like the term Machiavellian. Like, what does it mean? Like, for mm-hmm. me, it means like do do whatever it takes to succeed. Exactly. Like, yeah. don't be like, don't be like, you know, don't don't be held back by ethics or some or morals. Like yeah, morals. So. Like he'd say, yeah, that's bullshit. Like if you if you abide by by morals, all you're gonna achieve is be dead. Like the others will win. The other Machiavellians will have an advantage over you, and you'll die. Mm-hmm. So ignore that stuff. You know, it's maybe it's like propaganda. You need to like employ and talk talk big and be like a like. Have a nice public relation. Yeah, obviously, yeah. But really, it's. But really, just do whatever it takes. Yeah. Which is like, yeah. Yeah, I think in in that way, he was the first one to like to to openly decouple politics and morals. Yeah. Like realpolitik. Yeah. You know, like he's taking it. He's not taking what people say at face for that value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is what Burnham does as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the basic, the, the essence of Machiavelli, probably. Machiavelli, right? I'd say so, yeah. Yeah. What the others picked up on as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Nice. So, do you want to? Is, is there anything more you want to say to Machiavelli himself, or do you want to? We no, want I to don't think the Machiavellians. Let's go to this this guy. Mosca. Mosca. Gaetano Mosca. Gaetano. 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 Yes, <laughs> he's an Italian. He was okay. Italian. All right. And um, what does it, what does he say? <laughs> he, um, yeah, he apparently one of the. I mean, I don't know why this is special, but maybe it's not. But he, Bernard says that he rejects the monistic views in politics. So what does monistic, monistic mean? Monistic means there's only one reason for okay. something. Okay, he's, he says... He rejects like, these. There's a, a plethora, plethora of reasons. Like multifa yeah. multifaceted. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't... I think that's, yeah. Multicausal. Uh, makes sense, you know? It makes sense. Pretty basic, yeah. all right. Um, and he... Um, and he was apparently... Well, no, he wasn't racist. But he... Yeah, he, he rejected racial theory, but he... He talks a lot about racial theory as well because he okay. During what time did he like the uh, 19th century? 19th, 19th century, century. Okay. Italian so philosopher. Moved, yeah, like, yeah. Typhoon. All the Machiavellians are a lot later right, than Machiavelli right. himself. All right. So Mosca is a 19th century Italian philosopher. All right. And he comes up with this. He essentially deals with class theory. So classes. He, yeah, mm -hmm. classes. So there's a ruling class, and then there's the And within this ruling class, and I think this is a, this motive recurs in all the Machiavellians in my point of view, there's two layers mm -hmm. in, within the ruling class as well. So there are the leaders in the ruling class and the ones that are the, like the second, the middle class. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he's, he seems to think that to predict what's going to happen, you should analyze the leadership. That's the only important thing if you want to, and like if you want to really know what's going to happen, don't don't look at the people, don't look at the ruled ones. That's mm -hmm. not look at the ruling ruled, class. The ruling class, yeah, yeah, and look at the leadership within, even within the ruling class. Yeah, yeah. For me, that's really the core, the hard core of this book is like this, basically Gaetano Mosca's theories that you know you have a ruling class. You mm -hmm. always, it, it's always that one of like a ruling class emerges and, you know, you have like a leader, uh, a leader on paper, but then you also have the whole bureaucracy or just like the class of people that actually decide stuff. Mm -hmm. And yeah, he says it, it always emerges like this. You, you can't have a bunch of humans not doing, um, yeah, it's always, there, there are always people who, make the actual decisions, you know, mm -hmm. who actually like put in some more effort. And this is what Curtis Yarvin also says. Like he says that like all, all, all the systems that have ever worked in human history, all the system, the organizational structure that produces. Yeah, starting our, with the family, basically. Starting At with the family, family level. Yes. Starting with the family. You have, you have the parents or like, or probably like the, the patriarch or the, the patriarch. Matriarch. Yeah. The man of the house makes the, the calls the, the shots. And the, um, yeah, and also like, like Apple, like, you know, the company that produced your iPhone, it's a hierarchical structure. It's not like, uh, because the democracies, like, it, 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 it makes no sense in practice, like these guys, like, like Moscow says, cause. Yeah, all of them actually. All of yeah. them say this, like, it makes no sense, cause, like, you, you have, 
it's natural for leadership to develop in yeah, any or, kind of group. Yeah, any, like, always, always. Think of any group project that you did. There's always people like who who I like actually take take the lead, you know, yeah, and yeah. like do the stuff, you know. And the, sometimes it's not so good. Like they have to do way more work. Mm -hmm. But it's still that's just the way it works. That's the way human Nature. humans work. Demands. Yeah, yeah, because you can't organize yourself otherwise. Like yeah. there are always people who make the decisions. Yeah. Who do the stuff, and then there are the ones who are ruled. Mm -hmm. What I thought really interesting about Moscow, um, so Moscow also characterizes the ruling class, and he says that. Um, well, first of all, he says that he kind of the like he he rejects social Darwinism. So you know what that is, social Darwinism. So that like there is you know differences between like a master race kind of thing. Yeah. All right. But I think he kind of um, compares this the process of leadership with the with biological evolution. Mm -hmm. And since the lower class is more prolific mm -hmm. and the ruled class is kind of more, it's less prolific, it's more, it's smaller and it's more restricted to themselves. And then he, then he, he, like the, the, the major characteristics, if you want to be admitted to the ruling class are actually, are some, and that the ones that are hindering you are deep wisdom, altruism, and readiness at self-sacrifice. <laughs> Okay. These are hindrances if you want to join the ruling class. Oh, and I think this, this is especially interesting because mm -hmm. if you, like, if I think about current Austrian politics. Austrian politics. Austrian, po Austrian politics. Austrian politicians. Let's go. Tell us. That's exactly. What is Austrian politics? How does it work? <laughs> no, but that's actually like the, just the, the kind of, the tiny group of, of Austrian politicians who was around Sebastian Kurz, the ex-chancellor. Ah, wait. So Sebastian Kurz is the ex-chancellor of Austria. Austria. Mm -hmm. And like in 2022, right? Or 2021? 2021. In 2021. Or 20, early 2022, he had he, to... He, got, he, uh, he stepped back. He removed himself. And now he's employed office. by Peter Thiel, a favorite person. Peter Thiel. <laughs> Shout yeah, out so, to Peter Thiel. <laughs> so right. anyway, so yeah. Mm -hmm. So he had a like a very small group small. of people around him who essentially got all the the big offices and who became the ministers and it's in, now like step by step also the sebastian kurz guy he's like super young yeah he's, he's got really big years 37 <laughs> yeah i think at this point like but when 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 did he got elected chancellor of austria 32 at the age of 32 32 i think it's the chancellor youngest. of austria Yeah. You know, not the best but the, country, actually, like, first, but to be chancellor of anything. Political, um, the first political office he was admitted to was, you know, chief secretary of some, the Ministry of Culture or something, or okay. Ministry of Immigration. And that, that, uh, by that time he was 22, actually. Wow. That's insane. So by the age of 30 something, he already had like 10 years experience in politics. Wow. So he's like, I feel like this Kurtz guy is super it's, smart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a political like, he, super talent. He, he's like politically, yeah. he must be like a genius. Yeah, yeah. He knows how that works. Yeah, know, but how, then, what so what does. happened was what essentially happened? like a couple of things happened, but it turned out that he was probably also corrupt and tried to, tried to kind of assume this office by deceiving the uh, other members of his party and also the po Austrian population by essentially publishing kind of um, fake surveys that people thought he was most like that the surveys actually said he was the most popular person. Yeah, but, but that isn't, was, isn't that, that was super interesting? Like the like 
the way you get popular, it's it's like an advantage if people think yeah. that mm -hmm. you are popular. So yeah. it's an advantage if people think that other people think that you are good. Yeah, so what's, what was the book called? You preference read? falsification. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. like a typical mm -hmm. preference falsification by Timur Kuran. Excellent book. Yeah, yeah. So that's what he that was one of the things he did. Or mm -hmm. he and his group tried to get him into office, and it worked in the end. But he was caught, so it, it turned, like, this whole thing surfaced at some point. How so was he caught? He was, well, actually, there was another story going on. Something else happened, and then um, the, his, the, Actually, the smartphone of one of his, um, very, like, one of his intimate, um, co-workers or, mm -hmm. um, was, was, um, confiscated by the, by whom? well, by the, um, the, you know, the, the lawyers, you know, okay, the, like the state the lawyers, state, or what's the, what's the word, you know, whatever, like, state. yeah. Yeah. District attorney, whatever. So, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So there was state an invest investigation going on. It's still going on. It's still, still going, going on. And on. like, I, Over a hundred thousand chat protocols were drawn from this phone. This is how this, how everything got, well, came right. up and surfaced. And that's how he had. Yeah, but isn't it strange? Like, you know, isn't it kind of whack that like the state can just take your fucking phone and like look over all your messages? Like, isn't it weird? Like, I don't like it. Like, he should have used. Like, but it's evidence. He should have evidence. He should have encrypted his phone. Like, you know. Well, I think actually that the guy whose phone it was removed, had everything removed, but there was a backup on some computer. Dumbass. Like a WhatsApp backup What that was dumbass. found. So Stupid. that is how everything. Stupid. But the thing is, like, it seems now that but the guy could himself and the, 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 the small. Why didn't get, why didn't the private chats of the lawyers get published? Isn't that unfair? Well, I think if the lawyers deceived the, the, Republic and the Austrians and... Well, the Austrian people elect the Sebastian Kurz guy. Yeah, but only because they didn't know. All right. Well, Maybe if they yeah. had known, they wouldn't have elected him. No. Well, know. anyway, so... Weird. But I think, like, he and his group now appear, like, just like... Moscow says you shouldn't be if you want to be in the ruling class. They're not wise or altruistic. And... Are definitely not self-sacrificing themselves. So they actually have the characteristics to be in the ruling class. Yeah. Which Or the they lack, were. The lack, the morals. The lack of something. Yeah. Okay, all right. But, you know, they're not in the ruling class anyway. They got removed. They kind of fucked up, right? Yeah, but they, they made their way. They to made their way Perfectly made their way to the ruling class. They became the ruling class. But then because but then, this one guy, like, yeah, failed, yeah, like because failed it, to delete something. Yeah. All right. They would still be the ruling class. Guaranteed. All of this yeah, didn't come up. Yeah, that's stupid. That's really stupid. He should have like, yeah, yeah. like always encrypt your stuff, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so that the state can't see it. That's the lesson. <laughs> All right. Um, but I, I thought that was really interesting. So that if you look at today's politicians, like I think altruism and maybe deep wisdom aren't necessarily found yeah, in many of these people yeah. yes probably yeah. it's yeah. a drawback like, it's a drawback yeah it, exactly it makes you yeah it makes you yeah, need to be a fox you're not lacking the scruple probably yeah, yeah. yeah. scruples too exactly. many scruples exactly don't have scruples um so this ruling class 
It also has like some characteristics that make it healthy. And one of this, like it has to be a little bit permeable. Mm-hmm. Like there need exactly. to be, it's a class, so it's hard to get into, but it still has to admit new members. Like if it doesn't admit new members, the lower class will produce all these super intelligent, smart people and they will be your enemies. But mm-hmm. if you can just admit, if you can like have a, have high barriers of entry and admit the smart people, you will make your own class more healthy because it will have new, fresh, fresh blood. But if you will, if you completely shut yourself off, mm-hmm. um, you will, yeah, you will gather all these smart people that um, will be against you and you yourself, you lose this talent, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Who has done that? Do we have an example of, of someone group? Maybe the Habsburg monarchy. What do you um, think of those? They had yeah, like this like, incestuous kind of. I guess many monarchies eventually felt because of this. Because of this, because they didn't have Be- new because blood. yeah, and also the not even not just the ruling families, mm-hmm. but the the whole aristocracy. The whole aristocracy was like filled with stupid people. Yes, and was also very closed up. Closed off. Closed off. Right. Yeah, closed off and. Um, and the, yeah. the whole merchant class and capitalist class, they had like all the intelligent people. They weren't really allowed in the ruling class. Yeah. yeah. So they just like they destroyed the aristocracy. Yeah. Strong. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Anything else? Oh, that's that was an inter- that was an, a very interesting fact. I didn't know that because it mm-hmm. happened right. Mein mm-hmm. Kampf. Mein Kampf. Mein Kampf. By the way, yeah. I feel like this is like a new edition of the book mm-hmm. that we're reading, the yeah. Machiavellians. But like I heard that in an earlier edition, mm-hmm. like Burnham kind of sympathizes with Hitler sometimes. Well, that's what, um, you read that in the Managerial Revolution, I read right? that in the Managerial Revolution in this, by, I think it was by George, or- George Orwell, wrote the preface to the Managerial mm-hmm. Revolution, and there he criticizes James Burnham. Yeah, because it was... Managerial Revolution is another book by James Burnham. Well, maybe talk about this later. That, yeah, yeah. Take, talk about this later. It was written earlier. But, you know, there's, like, sometimes it seems like he kind of sympathizes with Hitler. Here's one passage that I just found. <laughs> No doubt European unification under Hitler would have been evil for the European peoples and the world. But this is no more proved by complicated deductions to show the derivation of Nazi thought from Hegelian dialectic and the philosophic poetry of Nietzsche than is the contradictory by Hitler's own mystical pseudobiology. So he doesn't seem to be a racist, the Burnham. Like he says it's a mystical pseudobiology, but he's still, and he says like Nazism is evil. Hmm. I don't really think if this, I don't think this passage really proves anything. Well, no, I think it shows that he's a little bit against Hitler. <laughs> yeah. More of a differentiated view. Oh, Bonaparte. What oh, about yeah. Bonapartism? It's one of the terms that come up in the book. What does that mean? What is Bonapartism? Well, actually, Bonapartism is is named after the Bonapartes, like the family of Napoleon. Of Napoleon, yeah. And I think that's like if a democracy kind of turns into an autocracy, because the initially democratic leader mm-hmm. like undergoes some sort of met- metamorphosis and starts like completely absorbs the the will of the people okay he kind of merges with yes the, yeah with the exactly will of yeah. The people. yeah conflates his own goals with the like what he believes the will of the All people right. is and then he then and then goes on to be like 
If you're to, against to me, impersonate yeah. the will of the people, yeah. or at least that's what he tells the people that yeah. he is, he, like he symbolizes the the will of the people, yeah. and so. Anybody who says anything against him is against is anti-democratic because he's against he's opposing the will of the people. Yeah. Okay. And so this way, like the That's democratic way, leader right. turns eventually turns into an like. That's a way to justify your arbitrary fascistic yeah, exactly. autocracy exactly. by yeah. saying, "Well, I'm the will of the people." Yeah, and I think this is what um, is actually happening in Hungary at the moment. Like Viktor Orban, the Hungarian leader, who I think he was just. I don't know how many times it's been re-elected, but he also changed the law so he doesn't essentially doesn't have to be re-elected anymore for a very long time. I think. All right, but what do the what are his approval ratings? Well, they're particularly yeah, they're quite high. Yeah, so people seem to actually like him, right? Um, well, I don't think that bonapartism excludes the, the people like you, but at some point it doesn't really matter what, if people like you or not because you are already an autocratic leader. Yeah, but sometimes people like Hitler was democratically elected, right? So, um, but I think people like people. Maybe sometimes pe the yeah, it's people not, want well, this. Bonapartism doesn't ex doesn't mean that people yeah, don't yeah. like you. It doesn't have to be bad it or good. It's just it just means it just means that it merges. Like you merge with the. But of course, I mean, the democratic leader is always liked by the people. Otherwise, he wouldn't be elected. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, but then the question was whether like Hitler is democratic or Orbán is democratic. I think he was, and, and but I then, think in the end he is. Yeah, yeah, but then at some point you can you can kind of diverge from democracy and make it autocratic because if you already are the the like if you are the bonapartistic leader, mm -hmm. then any critique against you or your policy you can frame as anti-democratic, which is like a strong argument it's like a smart it's like a good yeah tactic. so in the in the end you don't need the support of the people anymore. but it could be true it could be true that you know you actually are like maybe people maybe hungarians really like orban and they're like yeah you are you are you are like my yeah yeah, yeah. you, you true. defend my interests you are my interests like yeah true do that's thing. true but the all of the Macedonians actually say that um if you and this, i think this is will come to this maybe we'll we'll, we'll talk about this that the, the The meaning the the fight is for freedom. So freedom, liberty, mm -hmm. is a very essential theme for Machiavelli and for the Machiavellians. Yeah, the book is called Defenders, Defenders of, of Freedom. freedom. Yeah, and so everybody's got different kind of um, different terms for freedom or, or what mm -hmm. what they think freedom really is. But mm -hmm. um, one of them says that if you and that's like obviously if there's no more political discussion and no more opposition, then that's a huge loss of freedom yeah definitely of course yeah. so like Bonaparte Stalin and stuff you know yeah, you also, no yeah and also Orban Viktor Orban I think it's a he shuts down all opposition oh really got, he owns all the media basically all he right. shuts down the media that's not state funded and that he doesn't control he shuts all of this down so yeah but you know but come on but if you say like if you say like all lives matter instead of black lives matter You're like uh, you're like a complete political outsider. Like all the media hates you. Then what's you know? your point? My point is that um, it's independent of uh, of Orban this loss of freedom. You know, I feel like maybe we have it in the West as well. Well, maybe, but if, if you're you, not woke, you're wack. Well, but then if you're shutting down all political opposition, then I think that's loss of freedom for the people in Hungary as well. 
whether whether they like Orban or not. All right. So, yeah, okay. If there's no political discussion allowed anymore... Is it, is it what, not allowed? No, no, it's not allowed, no. But, like, if you, if you like, in, in Hungary say, I don't know... Well, of course you can say, you can well, say whatever you like, mm -hmm. but then if you've got no means of publishing it to, a, to, to the people, to a, then... Well, but can you write it on Twitter? Well, I think you can write whatever like you want he, on Twitter, he, he but... He doesn't control most, Twitter, right? No, he doesn't, no. But, but he, he controls He controls the all the... Yeah, major media outlets. In Hungary? Yeah. Yeah, but come on. Like, do do Hungarians even read Hungarian news? Well, I think they only read Hungarian news. Really? Yeah, yeah. predominantly Hungarian yeah, news. Probably, so this yeah. So he kind of owns it. Yeah. yeah. He's got the propaganda. Yeah. He's got the propaganda. And that's a loss of freedom for everybody. Well, but, you know, I feel like all of the West is pretty... Like, the, the, Europe, the European Union countries, they're all very similar... But if you have like something like Hungary, where like traditional values still mean something, maybe it increases your freedom. Because like, if you feel like wokeism is so bad, if you feel like you know trans rights are not that important, just go to Hungary, which is kind of which increases your freedom. Yeah, but it increases also, the like, freedom the of the other people in in your European Union. Fine, but it doesn't increase the rights of the Hungarian trans people. Yeah, but Hungarian trans people, they can just move out of Hungary. There's this really interesting Scott Alexander article called, like, The Archipelago, where he proposes, like, a political system where you yeah, have, like, yeah. different mm -hmm. countries and, like, it's an island and everybody can move anywhere, but they're really different. Like, the conservatives are conservatives, they have no abortion, but, like, if you, um, if you want, you can just leave. So, um, I, I just, I think I disagree with you that, you know, if everybody's the same, feel like that is a, that is a that is a loss of freedom i feel like if you have some hungaries in the world where things are done differently um i think it's cool and i think that people might actually like it like people living in hungary might actually sincerely agree with orban yeah but then burnham says and this is i think i don't know how this fits into the whole burnham admiring hitler thing mm -hmm. but he says like if there had been more If political discussion had been more vivid in Hitler in Nazi Germany, then that would have saved millions of lives. But because there was yeah, probably yeah, yeah probably yeah. so I think because because Hitler like controlled the yeah. you have the Gleichschaltung you you own all the media also yeah. like in that time you had no social media so yeah so he owns everything and nobody could talk about like yeah maybe we should that's not a good idea maybe, maybe we, we shouldn't, shouldn't attack uh, Russia or, or maybe like we... kill, declare war on the US or like kill the Jews which are the smartest yeah. people we have in our society maybe that's yeah. a dumb idea see but then and I think like I think it's the same in Hungary like maybe you I think you always need somebody opposing yes yeah I think, I, yeah, I'm, I'm pro I'm, yeah I'm pro opposition but I disagree that they don't have it like you know Like, they can't just go on the internet and, like, all the yeah, internet says that Orban is bad. if you're restricted to the internet... Well, I think, that, come on, like, this print media doesn't matter. It's well, it does It does matter to, like, everybody who's people. over 50, and that's probably, like, more than half of the people in Hungary. Yeah, but, like, See? over 50, come on. Yeah, but... Yeah, but... I think you kind of you don't you don't see the dangers coming from Orban Hungary. Yeah, I don't see the I don't see the danger at all. Because, like, you know, you have these Western social media or, like, media like the New York Times. And it's the New York Times actually is owned by, like, a, 
it's it's like it's it's like an aristocracy like it's owned by by like a family it's like the same family and like the son of the found the, the, the son of the yeah, last so guy who owned it yeah but but you know he like he kind of defends it against western media maybe like the western establishment media also media trust is at an all-time low in the u.s at least um so yeah so what's the point my point is that like he's not um maybe he's just defending himself against the propaganda from the west and both his stuff is propaganda but, then, but the western stuff is propaganda as well that's what i'm I saying think, yeah but i think if you get the west to like run propaganda against you mm -hmm. then and and you feel like you you kind of need to protect your people from this so you need to cut your people off from this then that's already a step into the wrong direction because if you restrict if you say well maybe the western propaganda is just so strong and you need to like do something and they are still can go on twitter right so. but i think the point when they can't go on the internet anymore like in russia you mean maybe nah, well you can always use a vpn right so Yeah, but I think if if you need a VPN, then okay, that's, if you, if that's you need definitely a, a bad sign. Like that's yes, a red flag. It is a it is that's a, red a red flag. flag. Yes, it's a red flag for yeah. It is a red flag. I agree. Strange. It's weird. Something's off. Something's off. If you need a VPN. But anyways, I think the Bonapartism concept. Maybe is quite a VPN could sponsor us. Huh. <laughs> 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 nice try. Nice. Um. Well, anything else about? Oh, yeah. So actually, you you got me totally distracted. I wanted to tell this like this interesting story about Mein Kampf and about Hitler. Mein Kampf. Mein Kampf. So Hitler apparently says that the Catholic Church, the one thing he likes about the Catholic ah, yeah. Church, it's really is that it's yeah. all it's um it's perfectly autocratic, but it remains democratic in mm -hmm. its recruitment due to celibacy. Celibacy. Celibacy, whatever. Um, yeah, that's very interesting. It's interesting, yeah, because the actually, priests can't have kids, so, yeah, so you can't... It, there's always new, new, blood new blood coming into the... Yeah. But actually, I think Hitler's off there, because especially given the history of the Cinquecento, when... What is that? That's the 15th century in... Or the 16th, 15th century in Italy, yeah. when Machiavelli was writing everything and when yeah. he was alive. Actually... I mean, one of the Medici effectively became the Pope. And that was the son of somebody else. And he also had a son who afterwards became the Pope. So, like, the Popes always had, like, tons of kids. And all the, the bishops had tons of kids. Yeah, but, you know, I feel like you, it's, it's still, it still has some impact. Because, you know, maybe the upper leaders, yeah. they can do whatever they want. Yeah. But, like, the whole supportive class the whole leading the class second class leader you mean the second class ruling class yeah the ruling class that's not at the very top yeah well i think theoretically mm -hmm. hitler's right but practically it's not really how it worked for like most of the history of the catholic church mm. but theoretically and it's well smart, it's, you know it's compared to what thought. like it didn't work compared to what like we have to compare it to other religions that don't have this feature like how did they work i don't know I don't know how the how the like, they don't even have the Pope. I don't know if the Protestantism they don't even have any money. I think like is there like a, like the Vatican has has a bunch of cash, right? Mm, yeah, and like they well, you know, land. they managed to accumu accumulate a bunch of stuff. Yeah, 
So they're kind of successful. Like, no, no, I'm not saying they're not successful, but I'm I'm saying that they're not completely that they are very yeah, but autocratic. Like, but like Hitler never claimed that. Like Hitler just said, this feature is uh, is a good idea because you get new blood. You have to like keep improving and you know keep attracting new fans, new followers. Yeah, but I think it's like in the the top leading the top ruling class the top top ruling class mm-hmm. was always very and ha- it's still very closed up yeah the Vatican yeah. is like an extremely elite place yes yes but you know the ruling parties like all the other bishops maybe the lower ones that don't hang out at the Vatican also like the, all the priests the the whole again the ruling class is still you know it's still yeah celibate. some somewhat open yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's an especially interesting thought, yeah. I think. Agree. Um, so we're still at Gaetano Mosca, right? Uh, yep. Yeah. Um, is there anything? Oh, yeah, that's that's another interesting concept in, in Mosca. Mm-hmm. The juridical defense. So that's the... The liberty, what? <laughs> juridical defense. Juridical defense. Yeah, so that's essentially that's like what liberty is for Machiavelli. Mosca like puts it juridical defense. So that means that you've got some in the, the freest country, um, the rights of the governed are best protected against the arbitrariness of the leaders. Ah, and this is what. Okay, so that's freedom. a measure of freedom. Yeah, so yeah, mm-hmm. if you are protecting. Yeah, this concept. Yeah, yeah. And I think this was one of the first times this defenders of freedom mm-hmm. made sense. To me, yeah, yeah. Because I, I felt like how the subtitle, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so if the gar- if if the if the leaders can't just arbitrarily take away all your all your stuff, then like unlike in the USSR during or like Stalin's USSR, he could just like kill you and nothing happens. Whereas in Germany, like if they want to build a new autobahn and it goes over your house, they have to like they will trash your house, but they will reimburse you mm-hmm. at least. So. They can't take everything away. Yeah, exactly. So it's more free. Also, there was like something about like like a multiplicity of social forces or something. Like um, that I think I don't know who, who which of these guys said it, but maybe it was Burnham himself. But like the multiplicity of social forces, like with the division of powers, like you have like multiple powers and one doesn't dominate the others. Mm-hmm. You know, they all have their place and they all like keep each other in check. Checks and balances, like that, also increases freedom, right? Yeah, I think that might have been Moscow, because he says that freedom is the the product of conflict. Freedom is the product of conflict, conflict and difference, and not difference. of unity. Not of unity, yeah. yeah. So if like differences are tolerated, yeah, yeah. So if you don't have to be woke all the time, yeah. But then also um, he says that only power can control power. That's true. All right. Yeah. Only power can control power, all right? So you need checks and balances. You need to have written in the constitution, all right, the Supreme Court can, like, overrule the whatever. Yeah. And he seems to, he seems to, like, he talks a lot about the, kind of the old age parliamentary governments, like the 19th century parliamentary governments. And he seems to think that um, this is, more of a like this liberal principle is more balanced than because bureaucracy is autocratic in a way bureaucracy is is autocratic autocratic. yeah and then 
this is balanced by the liberal principles of the government, like of a parliament. And this balance is really important to him. So the, you need a parliament where, which, where open discussion is going on because on the other hand, you have bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. And this is autocratic. This is an autocratic force within your state. Bureaucracy. Yeah. Yeah. So like the, the bureaucrat sitting in his office, like deciding something. Yeah. That's an, more he, of an. True. Like he is not democratically yeah. elected. Like these yeah. people working in the bureaucracies are not yeah. elected. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they like, when the leader goes, like after the four terms, like the four year term of the US president is Guess over, stays? the bureaucrats yeah. stay. Yeah. And this like, a, this kind of blew my mind a little. Like this is a really interesting point. This is also a point that, that Curtis Yarvin always makes. And he says like, it, it, like this whole, it's maybe, maybe that's actually the deep state. There's this term, the deep yeah, state. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Like these people who are the actual ruling class. Yeah. Um, cause they, the leading bureaucrats. Yeah. The leading bureaucrats cause they stay there all the time. They're, yeah. they're not removed. And, and, and also like it gets more like this whole structure over year, over the years, it gets more calcified. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all like, for example, um, I, yeah, I recently read his, this history book by Steve McMeekin called Stalin's War, which is about the Second World War. And, um, you know, it was about, uh, the, the U.S. president during that time, um, FDR, um, what's his Franklin name? D. Roosevelt. Franklin D. Roosevelt. Yeah. And he was like, he also had like four terms in office, which is crazy. And he was a paraplegic, which he faked. Anyway, uh, like he didn't tell the public that he couldn't like really walk. He wasn't okay, wheelchair. He didn't fake it. He just, yeah, yeah, he like, tried to. <laughs> he tried to conceal it. Yeah, that's what I meant. Anyway, <laughs> he didn't fake being a paraplegic. He was actually a paraplegic. Anyway, and Stalin, when they met in Yalta, Stalin built him like a special bathroom for uh, disabled people. Mm -hmm. So Stalin is actually really inclusive. Anyway. Um, <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, Franklin, G, Franklin G. Roosevelt was like really, um, he still had like, powers of the king a little bit like he was like really powerful yeah. like he just like made up he like made a lot of decisions like the whole land lease program to ussr where like the u u where like u usa built a bunch of tanks and stuff and like shipped them to the ussr to support support them in the war and uh like a bunch of this stuff like fdr just like he like yeah made up some agencies like new agencies and You know, I think he was the guy who went off the gold standard, but I don't remember correct. I don't, I'm not really sure. But anyway, he, he did like a bunch of really big things. And like, when you think of today, like what can the US president do? Like he's way less powerful than before. Like cause the bureaucracy stays and you know, over the years it got more and more powerful. And like, like the actually, the president, like it doesn't really matter. Like if Trump is president again. Cause like what, what will, like he, he, he's not, he's not actually as powerful as the president was like a hundred years ago. Cause they are like way more of these bureaucratic agencies, like for like all the big decisions, like the really important ones are actually made by these, like these undemocratic agencies. Like in theory, they're kind of like Congress can remove them or like the president can maybe do something. But in practice, they all, they always stay there. Like the F, like the FDA, like a food and drug administration who decides which, Drugs and foods are there, like, and all these agencies that have like so much power. And like, there, there's a story, maybe it's fake, where like Trump was like in his monster or something it's called, like this limousine. Mm -hmm. And like, he wanted to tell the driver, yeah, no, let's go over there. And the driver was like, no, 
I'm not going to do it. Like this, I'm from the secret service and, you know, I have my orders and I'm just going to drive you wherever the fuck I want. Uh, well, mm. wherever the fuck I'm ordered to and you can't sell me anything. Can't tell me anything. Can't tell me what to do. And he's like, just like a driver, like telling that the president of the United States, but maybe that's a fake story. Maybe it's fake news. I'm not sure. But anyway, I think it illustrates really well how, um, how the world actually works. Um, yeah. It's the same in Austria as well. Like there's an Austrian example of this as well. So there was this one guy, the highest bureaucrat in the, the Ministry of Justice. Justice. Yeah. Um, who was in office for like, I think 15 years. 15. 15 years. And he, he saw like probably 10 ministers of, justice come and go okay and he was stayed and he was it turned out that he had especially powerful kind of networks all right with within the ministry and with other high bureaucrats of other ministries and so it turned out that he was one of the most powerful powerful people okay so this unelected guy yeah completely unelected 15 guy. 15 years in office yeah. nobody and probably he also, he's probably nobody probably really knows him like in, in the media used to know him yeah, yeah but then now he was, he's famous all right yeah because he also he was also corrupt me and it turned out oh, that right. there was something off and something strange yeah and he also because he was still kind of he was i don't know who appointed him in the first place but he was um he was adjacent to that one party mm -hmm. and then if a minister was from the other party yeah. Then he was, he kind of tried to, you know, to destroy their plans. Ah, really? Yeah, yeah. All right. So he, or he, like, or he told the, the other party what was going on within the intimate circle of the ministry. He told so the outside like of the snitch, yeah. yeah, yeah, mm -hmm, yeah, something. So he, this completely un things. unelected bureaucrat been there for 15 years. He, no he really probably really knows how stuff works. Totally. He yeah. He knows the in and outs of this complicated bureaucracy and he, yeah. And he also tried to, and I think he was successful at some point to, you know, get other people, other bureaucrats, really high positions because of his network. And he, he, he was very open about this to some of kind of to the party he was sort of adjacent to. Mm -hmm. He was like, well, after everything, because at some point, I think he was, or somebody from his family was overlooked to overlooked. get, yeah, to get some position. Ah, so obviously, like any ruling class, yeah. he tries to get his, get his people get in his the people positions. And, and then right. somebody was overlooked in his point of view. When he, he got was, angry. Yeah. yeah, and he was openly saying, so after how my family was treated recently, mm -hmm. I'm going to fuck you over. All right. Oh, I, I'm, I deserve to be in this or I, I, yeah. Wow. What's yeah. this, what's this guy called? Pilnacek. Pilnacek. Christian Pilnacek. Christian Look Pilnacek. Look him up. It's a very, it's, but he You looks... heard it here first on the Austrian politics <laughs> podcast, APP. But he looks extremely scary as well. Like, he looks scary. Yeah. He looks scary, extremely evil, sinister, sinister. And scary. And he is. And he's, he, he used is. to be, he, he was, it was really, really hard for the current minister of justice to actually get him to remove him from the office. Ah, but he got but removed. He wrote, got, was removed. Wow. Yeah. With all efforts. Yeah. Like everybody tried to. <laughs> a joint effort. <laughs> let's get this old guy get, out of get here. Get rid of this guy. Yeah. And by the way, if I were um, chancellor, maybe of a real country, maybe Germany, then I would, I would remove all, like I would just do a fresh start, you know, like ministry of. Uh, but that's what Manchester Smallback always says, right? Yeah. Manchester Smallback says, says like, if like this. If the queen. If the queen Elizabeth. Like the some other Elizabeth, not the current one. That the 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 Queen Elizabeth. The real the real Elizabeth, yeah. like the one. The sixteenth century. Yeah, yeah. Seventeenth. Like she would just like shake things up. She would just like remove, like maybe keep the military, but then all other bureaucrats just like, like throw them into the um, dog food factory or like remove the, them from from office. Mm -hmm. 
and like put you put your new people there. Lock them up in the power. And one. then you can actually change stuff. Like otherwise, it yeah. doesn't really matter who's at the yeah. top. Yeah, like, and that's like Christian Pilnacek exhibit A for this. Exhibit, exhibit A for a. this. Yeah. Christian Pilnacek. Christian Pilnacek. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of lots of exhibit A's in Austrian politics Austrian, for the Machiavellians. Austrian politics. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's all I I have about Moscow. All sort of things I thought were interesting. All right, I have some other notes here. You know. <laughs> He says, do not accept at face people what, at, do not accept at face value what people say and think, which is a common feature of Machiavellians, you know, which is also like in this whole, whatever, behavioral economics, you know, like look at what people do, not what they say. What they say is mostly just like virtue signaling or like bullshit, whatever. Look at what they do. Mm. And uh, yeah, I think that's what interesting, what's, what's really interesting. No. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Do you want to uh, want to move on Let's move to on, Sorrel? Right? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. George Sorrel. Who is that? George. George Sorrel. Yeah. Is that oh, a French that's person? An inter- yeah, that's a Frenchman, and that's particularly interesting mm-hmm. because he was not in all respects Machiavellian, because he was a f- um, an extremist, a political extremist. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was a. Um, what do you think about extremism in general? Because I think. Like people always say, oh, he's extremist, like it's a bad thing. But I feel like someone can be extremely correct. You can be extremely right about stuff. <laughs> That's an Alexei Gastmeier original thought. <laughs> like extreme, like it's not bad to be extreme. You can be extremely great. Yeah, yeah. You know what I think? But maybe like... But political ex- extremism? Yeah, but like... I think that's like, usually not a good thing. No, I disagree. It it can be an extremely good thing, like for example, like what do you think about? Oh, oh, maybe I'm spoiling the next book, but the next book we're gonna we're gonna um, talk about in the next episode is Open Borders by Brian Kaplan. <gasps> open borders. So open borders seems like an extreme idea, right? But it might actually be a good idea, like an extremely good one. Mm. But we'll talk about it in the other episode. So anyway, that's that's just like. Okay. But he was an extremist, anyways, and Sorry. he was a, um, in what a way? syndicalist. What is that? Do you mean? know what? Yeah, I'd never heard of it. It's like an, an anarchy stuff, right? Um, no, apparently it was like a, an extreme communist in a way. All right. So the syndical, the syndicalism mm-hmm. is, um, it's like he is opposed to all states and governments, and also opposed to. The but that unions. sounds like anarchy. It sounds like anarchy. No, no, no. Like he thinks anarcho syndicalism is a term. It is a term. Yeah. Well, the, but this, I think the syndic, the syndic, what's the syndic, what's the word? Syndical, what's a, a syndicate? What is a syndicate? It's a kind of a group? Yeah, yeah. I think it's like a union. All right. Like anyway. It's, it's an extreme, like an extreme union. All right. All right. So. It's and, not a government, not a state. No, no, like, it's a union, like a union, right, right. you know. So like it's they work a union. Like equal. But yeah, but then a very, so, and he, like, he and his group, um, kind of advocate that the, the, the union, the workers, the workers unions are way too weak and they should be taking power, like seizing power mm-hmm. essentially by a revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that there's, and he has this myth. There's this myth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's very, that's very essential to his theory that just this, this great myth and the great myth is that all workers go on strike, like virtually all of them go on strike. Mm-hmm. And thereby force, kind of force power on everybody else. Because 
then production completely stops. Ah, they can just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, completely You have them at, at gunpoint, yeah, of course. Exactly, exactly. If you just stop working, yeah. if the workers lay down their arms. No, not their arms. But, the, but I mean like the literal, <laughs> the hands, literal arms. Yeah, <laughs> mm -hmm, yeah. yeah. Then, so then like nothing moves forward, yeah. Yeah, and then so essentially, so this way he thinks that um, the, syndicate, the syndicate yeah, can seize power. All right. And so he kind of advocates this great myth And he also advocates, and I think this is why he's an extremist, um, brutal force, like brute force. Brute force. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so he's like a typical, sounds like a real, like, whatever, like Leninist, like communist kind of guy, right? Yeah, but it's, it's yeah, it's kind of like this, but um, even more extreme. So he's, he opposes the state. He wants to syndicate. All to right. take over. Okay, so not e a state. so even if the workers take over, he doesn't want them to build a new state. No, just syndicate. Just, just a syndicate kind of ruling, a, which is not as yeah. okay. Don't it's really less know. than a state, but more than I think a group. so. Yeah, but I don't. I'm not really sure about syndicalism. So all right, we don't know. All yeah. Right. Anyway, but that's what he because and and he's very um he's very much concerned with this function of violence. The function, the function of, of violence. That's an essential, like a theme in, in the work of Sorel. Mm -hmm. Sorel, whatever. Um, and he says that it's a, like this moral denunciation of violence mm -hmm. serves to keep the workers quiet, actually. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it yeah. makes sense. And to kind of ward off revolution. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, This it's morally like wrong. This is also like to the, be violent. the the political uh, formula which we forget forgot from Moscow, right? So I think yeah, it's a really yeah. important term. Yeah. Like from like let's go back to Moscow quickly. The political formula is basically the thoughts and the propaganda or whatever. Doesn't uh, propaganda is a negative term, but it's like the this whole intellectual the political idea. The of. political idea. The ideal ideal and like bunch of like set of thoughts and ideas yeah that keeps the ruling uh class in power yeah so the political formula is like yeah basically you want everybody to believe in this oh, political yeah. formula yeah even the, like the the power of the people the power of the people what does that mean Like that's a that's a political formula, like like the, ah, so the you will want, of the people. You want people to believe that that they the are current situation yeah. is democratic, mm -hmm. that you yeah. are in power anyway. So what are you gonna? So it's all that stuff, all these yeah. thoughts. And Sorel thinks like, like the, the denunciation of violence is also a political formula. It's basically way. a political formula, and it's it's yeah, it's yeah. for the ruling class not to get overthrown. Exactly. Yeah. They want yeah. you. To, they want you to think that you can't be violent. Violence is evil. Mm -hmm. All right. And so he says, yeah, he, so he kind of promotes violence mm -hmm. in, in a way because he thinks it serves an important... He's for violence. So yeah, right. he's pro-violence also because he thinks it's. Are you pro-violence? No. I don't even know what the question means because like, like violence is... Like people always say, oh, I don't like violence, but like if you don't pay your taxes, like after some time, a police, police officer is going to show up and violently drag you into prison. Or like, if you do something bad, people are gonna like, police comes and does violence on you, and I feel like that's actually a good thing. Oh, it's a necessary thing. Yeah, I think that the, the violence people refer to when they say they don't like violence is this kind of anarchy violence thing. That like, anarchy like all rules are non-existent anymore, and anybody can do what they want. 
All right. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Like, I think this you, abstract you don't, you don't anarchy violence, that's what everybody hates. Well, that's, well, what, and, and that's what people pretend to hate. I feel like if, if violence is committed against people's enemies, then they probably like it. Like if Putin got killed right now, most people, like many of these Wouldn't people least, who say yeah. that would, would really love that. Mm-hmm. Right? So, you know, it's kind of... I think it's kind. I, 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 I think it's kind of fake. You know, these people who say, oh, well, "I'm I'm a pacifist," you're probably not a real pacifist. Yeah, but I think the the uh, Sorel talks about violence in in the in political life, mm-hmm. like and revolutions. It, and yeah, stuff. yeah, like right. extremely violent revolutions. Yeah, and I think most people who say they don't like that really mean they don't like that because I don't, wouldn't want it either. I think violent revolutions. Yeah, but you got to be aligned scary. sometimes, right? I don't know. Do you? I mean, like violent revolution against Hitler would would have been a good idea, right? Yeah. Do you like Hitler? <laughs> Are you saying that you like Hitler? You heard it here first. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I don't know. So Sorel, function of violence. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the deal with Sorel. I think. What else is there? Ah, so that's it. Yeah. That's all I've got on Sorel. Yeah. Yeah, all right, let's move on. But he's, and one more thing maybe that he says is interesting. He's, he, he thinks that like a big blow at the beginning of mm-hmm. a revolution, whatever, like a burst of violence can mitigate suffering later on. Ah, so you, you'll have less violence in total if you just have a bunch big of big blow violence. at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. But then I'm not sure if this was true because I mean, the French Revolution, was very was bloody violent, for yeah. a longer time and doesn't in work always waves of violence i think but i heard like uh, that was also like one of these one scott alexander article but uh, it was about um i don't know which which nation it was about but it was like a nation and like they had like a fake fake coup like a fake coup d'etat where they just said well you're removed from office blah 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 and all the propaganda and all the all the media said it like that's it it's, we have a coup but like there wasn't really any violence. Like the people just stepped down. They believed it and they just stepped down. They were like, yeah, well, we have lost. So, uh, which I found interesting. Mm. So obviously you want to minimize the bloodshed. Yeah. Um, you know, but you can achieve your goals maybe by other ways, you know, like a fox. All right. Let's get to the next Machiavellian. It's also the last one, right? Uh, no, Pareto. Oh, okay, okay. This is Robert, I think Robert Michaels. All right. Or Michelle. I don't know. If, I think Michelle. it's. Michelle. It's a British guy. I don't know. Not All right. Um, the limits of democracy. Limits Michel. of democracy. Michel's problem. Yeah. So, so this is this is just he. I think he just kind of paraphrases what all the Machiavellians think, or like what Machiavelli himself maybe already um, analyzed and found out that like that the organization into groups and subgroups and subordinates is essential feature of the human of social life. So democracy, as in the people govern themselves, is just virtually impossible. All right. So he says that. Yeah. Like, yeah that's, his, that's what we said before. Like, we that, said you know, that before, yeah. So, you can't have democracy because, you know, then it's chaos. You, you, do, you need someone who takes the lead. Um, and then you need people who execute the, whatever the leaders think. And Exactly. Yeah. So th- there's always like leadership is... Yeah. Which is kind of well, I feel I feel like I kind of agree with that because totally. again, yeah. like all yeah. all human organizations that produce anything of value are 
probably organized like that. I feel like it's really interesting that our nations are not organized like well they're kind but of they are. Are. but they are they yeah, are they kind yeah. of are yeah it's, it's yeah they actually are but also like companies animals. like um, yeah animals have like hierarchies all companies have hi all successful companies have like these hierarchies and they produce they are like the they are like the organizations that produce value and um yeah yeah and it's just like this fact of leadership Mm -hmm. is irreconcilable. The, the fact of leadership, you need leadership. The fact leadership. of leadership you need is someone irreconcilable the with the principle of democracy. Yeah. Democracy in the sense of people ruling the pe people. Ruling the people. Pu people, yeah. Ru people Actually, literally governing themselves yeah. makes no sense yeah. because you have the ones who govern and the ones who are governed. Always. Always. Necessarily. Yeah. Necessarily, Can't be avoided. Logically. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, but then he, that, that was, I think that was quite a, kind of interesting, um, interesting, interesting observation. Like the, The vice of resignation. Vice of resignation. Device, device, ah, device. the device. Yeah. Like Sebastian like, Kurz resigned from office. Yeah, and apparently um, also um, Churchill resigned a couple. Or What? Offered resignation. Ah, he offered resignation. Times, yeah. And then so the, 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 the that's a whole, you know, yeah. that's a, a shenanigan kind of thing. Like you it's, like offer, the, it's like a tactical move. Yeah, you offer your resi uh, resignation and then... And then people feel like, well, this is just, this got to be the heart of democracy. Like if the leader himself offers resignation, mm -hmm. it's a very democratic, it feels very democratic, yeah, but does. really the, it's a tactical kind of charade mm -hmm. by which the leader kind of forces his will on the group once, once again. Mm, no, I think I well, disagree. Well, that's, that's what he said. But I don't it's know. An, it's, I think an interesting it's, an, it's an interesting thought, thought but I, I don't think I quite understood really. So I, I disagree. But, you know, yeah, there's, there's this move you can do as a leader. Yeah. Like, either, e either your people do what I want or I resign. Or I resign. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's kind of a cool move. Like, it shows that you have skin in the game. Because, um, you know, you, you can be like, if the people say, well, you've got to, okay, well, then resign. Yeah. You have kind of lost, but... Um, But if the people say, well, all right, no, we actually need you. Yeah. Um, I think it's a good device. It's a good technique. Yeah. It might be bad. But in a way, it's for forced. It, it's kind of the, the leader in that we can force his will upon the group. If he says, well, either we, we do this or I resign. Okay, because people's will might be that you don't do the, do, don't do the thing we don't like, but also that you don't resign because we like the other stuff you do yeah yeah mm -hmm. so in yeah. a way the leader kind of yeah okay. i mean the leader risks he risks something losing his office but then in the way i think in the like churchill was probably in a position where he never never he knew that he was extremely tremendously valuable for his and i think well, that's that's yeah right that's Kurt, churchill, case, so. churchill was like churchill's famous for being really early and being really anti-hitler Yeah. Churchill was like kind of, kind of a gung ho kind of, you know, um, kind of guy, you know, who, um, was really anti Hitler. Where like the Neville Chamberlain was kind of accommodating to Hitler. Mm -hmm. Churchill was like, no, no compromises, you know. Was very radically anti He was radically anti Hitler and he yeah, stood by his principles. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, well, that's, that, that's like what leaders do. Like yeah. sometimes they tell people, you know, yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not your puppet. Like, I, I, I don't want to do it like this. Like I, I resign and yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting. But I guess the feel, I guess the, 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 the idea is that 
actually, if you are a very, very powerful leader and very important for your party, for example, mm -hmm. or for you, the, the group you lead, um, and you know that, then you can use this and appear very democratic while you're actually not being democratic at all and just forcing your will upon yeah, like, upon your like, yeah, you are yeah. forcing your will because like, your will upon the yeah. yeah, that's what you're doing because like you don't want yeah. But you frame it; it doesn't look that way because it looks like you offer your resignation because you feel like you can you can say, "Oh, I feel like I don't enjoy the support of the people anymore," so I offer my resignation. My resignation. Yeah, it's like if you work for a company and like you say, "Well, if you don't do that, I'll resign." Yeah, yeah. So it's it like feels you give, like you give them the you choice. You give them the power, but, but like... But really you don't because you know that they desperately need you. You've got all the cards, like, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah that's also, there's also this this uh, this saying, like, the one who wins the negotiation is the one who is more willing to walk away. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. this concept of the BATNA, best alternative to negotiated agreement. It's like if you um, if you don't really need the thing, if you don't really need the thing... And you're in strongest position. Yeah, you're in a stronger yeah. position. yeah. If if you can honestly say, well, I'm just going to leave. Yeah. But it's interesting. It's an, I think it's interesting to muse about this. Yeah. Because it happens quite often. Somebody says, okay, well, then I'll just step down. Yeah. And sometimes, it ha sometimes, and sometimes you know, they, like, the they bargain, down, like, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of a gamble. It's a devil, yeah, it's a gamble, yeah. It's a, and yeah. sometimes it's, it doesn't work out. Sometimes they're like, yeah, okay, well, I'll step down. Yeah. yeah. But I think Goodbye. for the leader, it's the, it's the, the, the art is, Knowing how much your group needs you, like how yeah, how like, you can gamble. Also, like how bad stepping down for you is. Like yeah. if stepping down is actually cool for you, you're then, like, well, I don't have to do this bullshit anymore. I can just, like, yeah. you know, chill out and do some other stuff. Yeah, that's also cool. So if you have a good alternative, then that puts extra pressure yeah. on the group, yeah. on your exactly, the group yeah. you are leading. Yeah. Um. Yeah, then there's also this part about Bonapartism, but I think we've already covered that. Um, um, is there anything so interesting Michels. about Michaels, Michels, whatever, Michels? Um, ruling class and what, the rules. What's, I think... Fin There's no such thing as self-government, Bonapartism... Yeah, I, I that's can, a, that's, yeah, I think that's interesting. Like the, it, he's got this iron law, law of oligarchy. So oligarchy always comes up essentially. It's, it, it, mm -hmm. it can't be avoided. Yeah. But that shouldn't, that doesn't mean you should, should abandon the struggle for democracy altogether. All right. Because it's still, you should still try to, to reach it, to reach it. That, yeah. And also think how desirable that is to what extent democracy is the most realizable and desirable. Yeah. To what but, you need to think about this. Or? Yeah, you need to think about this and then... Yeah, because sometimes you want the better people to be in power, right? Yeah. But yeah. on the other hand, if it calcifies and they're like all stupid, you, maybe you need to shake up... Maybe an oligarchy always materializes in the end. Yeah. But maybe you can shake things up and like exchange the oligarchy by exactly, some other one. Exactly. That, that might be yeah. better, more competent. Exactly, yeah. So, all right. Mm. Actually, I want to talk about the managerial revolution for for a bit. Okay. So I read, I also read The Managerial Revolution, which is another book by James Berman, written earlier, like two years earlier, where he, um, also like the guy who wrote the prologue, the, the foreword to The Managerial Revolution, the preface exactly, is George Orwell, like our George Orwell from 1984 and Animal Farm. Um, and yeah, a lot of the predictions that 
Bernie makes are actually like totally false. Um, like for example, also this really inspired George Orwell. Like in George Orwell, there are like only like three big nations. Mm-hmm. Like there's Oceania, Oceania and something else. And, um, and this actually is written in the managerial revolution where he, like he says, well, no, it's like the, the states are going to consolidate. There's going to be really big states because you have these, you know, economies of scale or something and they're more powerful than the little ones, which was completely wrong because the number of nations just like got way more. There are way more nations now than there used to be in 1940, 41. So uh, yeah, also like a lot of, a lot of this stuff, like James Burnham was like kind of a bad forecaster. He made like a bunch of bad forecasts that didn't really happen at all. Um, and, and, um, well, just to quickly summarize the managerial revolution, he says that, um, uh, the next change of how society works is not really about like capitalism versus socialism. He says that's not the main thing. The main thing is, um, um, well, he says right now the capitalists are in power, mm-hmm. like the ones owning all the stuff, yeah, the ones, the rich, the really rich. Um, but he says in the future, cause like, how does a company work? Like the whole share, like, like, like a, like a shareholder company, you know, you have mm-hmm. these shares, it's owned by the shareholders, but, uh, the people actually managing the CEOs, um, they are the managers of the company. And he says like the, the shareholders, like the really rich, rich ones, they don't really want to deal. They don't really want to manage themselves. Yeah. And you know, there's this division about owning the thing and managing the thing. Um, and, um, you know, he says the capitalists, they really just want to chill out on the Bahamas and just like, yeah, chill out and don't do anything. And the, the managers, they actually control the means of production. And for him, um, which is also like, I disagree with this, like, like I, I personally, I believe that like the big difference is about like free market economies and like planned economies, which don't work. And that's what makes capitalism more um, successful, which makes it work, why it produces yeah. so much value for all of us. But he says like, what's, what's important is uh, like, whether you have free economy or a planned economy, like the yeah. USSR, what's important is that that, like these managers are emerging. The people controlling these bureaucrats who manage yeah. other people, mm-hmm. these are going to be the, 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 this is going to be the managerial revolution. These people are going to control society. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a free market economy or not, that's the next level. Yeah. So, so what's the difference in that respect then between the superior free market and the planned economy? For me? No, like, yeah, yeah. Because you, like, why? Like, f- like for Bo- Burnham, that part isn't that important. Okay, okay. Whether okay. the economy yeah. is free. So that, yeah, so the, the, but the managerial revolution happens him, either way. Yeah, it happens yeah. for both. In both these systems, yeah. no matter your economy, you have these managers, like, cause like in, in the Soviet Union, you have your apparatchiks and your yeah. bureaucrats and the ones who have to plan the economy. Yeah. These are really, fa- these are really important. Yeah. And like in capitalism, you have like the managers and the production manager. Yeah, the CEO like, kind of yeah. guy, you know, and he makes the decisions and, you know, he controls the company, right? Yeah. Even so though he's he doesn't powerful, own it, so, even though yeah. he doesn't own it, exactly. It's exactly right. And so this is the essentially the manager. This revolution. is the ruling class. He says this is this is the new ruling class. Yeah, mm-hmm. next level. Yeah. yeah. He wrote it in 1941. Did it turn out that way? Hmm, not sure. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. kind of, but maybe yeah, maybe kind of. 
Well, politically, probably yes. It's like bureaucrats and if, stuff. Like coming back to Christian Pilnacek. Yeah. Maybe. He's like yeah. one of these managers. He's a probably. manager. Yeah. yeah High class bureaucratic manager. Yeah. Exactly. Ruling in a way. Yeah. Um. Well, like, do you want to move on to Pareto? All right. The let's last, go to the next guy. Yeah. Um, that's the the last and probably, or I think for Burnham, the most interesting. Well, also, wait quickly. Like Michelle has these residues. Is it part of? No, no, that's Pareto. Ah, that's Pareto. That's okay, Pareto. Yeah, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah. All right, yeah. let's go to Wilfredo Pareto. Exactly. It's also famous, Italian. Also I think Italian. he was born in in um, Sicily. Sicily. We're going well, to Sicily yay. this weekend. Wow, nice. <laughs> I think he was from Sicily. He was born in Sicily, anyways. Um, so um, for yeah, Pareto has this whole. I think he's the he's the he's the the Machiavellian most liked by Burnham because he. Um, yeah, like that's the biggest part mm -hmm. of the whole, the Pareto. But, um, so he's, it's very, very, um, theoretical, actually, Pareto. Yeah, well, he's like an economist and, yeah, and, and philosopher, mathematics, kind of in a way. mathematical. Yeah, kind of. yeah. And everybody, everybody knows the Pareto, the Pareto principle, principle, you know? Yeah. 20% of anything produce 80% of the output. Yeah. You know? So this means, If 20% of anything produce 80% produce 80 of the output, then 20% of 20%, which is 4%, should produce 80% of 80%, which is 64% of the output. So 4% produce 64% of the output. Mm -hmm. That's the next level Pareto. Anyway, it's that Pareto. Yes. Also from the, from the, maybe you know the term Pareto efficiency. Do you know that? No. No, that's from microeconomics. If you're educated in microeconomics, you know it. It means that something is Pareto efficient if you can't make anyone better off without making anyone else worse off. Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. You got it, right? So you can't. So if I have got nine, nine bananas, there's the, the, piece of, there's the cake. The cake can't get bigger. Yes. Yeah. Basically. Yes. Yeah. If I've got nine bananas, you got one. I can give you one banana, but that will make me worse off. Yeah. But so if, the, the cake. if we can exchange, like if you've got coconuts and we can change them up and I want some coconuts, you want a banana and we change them, we're both better off. Mm -hmm. So that, per, yeah. So then it's Pareto efficient. Okay. Yeah, so that's that's all. Oh, yeah. uh, okay. I've got to so, say. Right. <laughs> um, so coming back to the the political theory of um, Pareto, mm -hmm. um, he's got this this he d defines the two terms like residues, residues and derivations, derivations, and the residues change little from age to age and from society to society, from culture to sub to culture. All right. So and residues are like the core. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like so the he, he defines six classes of residues, but that's not that important. All right. But they can be divided into two classes, basically. So there are combinations, and I don't know how he come how he defines this, but these are the tendencies to change, to newness, manipulations, and then there are group persistences, and these are the tendencies to inertia and resistance to change. So these are the, basically the two. And, and all residues can be put into either one of these groups. So you have tendency to change. Or tendency, tendency to, to inertia, stay the same. to resistance to change. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. 
These are like two classes of residues. Yeah. And these are two main classes kind of residues. Yeah. And there's all together, there's like six classes of residues. Okay. But these are the main classes. Yeah, and yeah. also you have the derivations. And that's it. Yeah. That's another. And derivations are what? Um, derivations are kind of confabulations, ah, which explain why something is done. Yeah. And this kind of explain the residues. Or they but are, do they really explain them? Or no, no, they are. I think they they justifications. Justification, but yes. it's actually bullshit. It's not real. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's fake news. Oh, you shouldn't be distracted by don't the, don't the get distracted by the stuff. Just look at the because facts, uh, no. the only thing that cares that, that's really important are the residues, yeah, not the right. derivations, whatever they are. Um, the residue, yeah, the, the yeah. derivations are like theories, doctrines, all sorts of things. Reasoning. Doctrines, yeah, like our philosophy, like the USSR, I don't know, constitution. Like the USSR had actually, it had a really, really strong constitution, which is more progressive than the American one, but Mm -hmm. it didn't matter. Yeah, exactly. It was like, it was like a real. In this way, it kind of, it was just a derivation. Just like empty words, like verbiage. So residue is what remains when you remove all the bullshit. Yeah, and that's constant across all, because it's just human nature in a way. It's human nature. It it's really abstract. Derived from human nature. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, so this is one part of his theory. Mm-hmm. And then he talks a lot about social utility as well. Mm-hmm. That was kind of interesting. So he says the utility of a community is the, the survival value. And then there's the, the utility for a community. Mm-hmm. And that's the internal welfare. And he says these two usually, like they are kind of, um, they are indirectly proportional. Proportional? Yeah, or like, you know. Anti-proportional? Kind of in a way, yeah. So, so the you mean like if one value, goes up, the other goes down? Yeah, it, it can, it, it can be that way, yeah. So the survival what is survival? Value, like, is it military? Um, yeah, kind of, yeah, for right. example. Mm-hmm, yeah. So you can increase your. You can be, yeah, exactly. You can make it that the change is less, that it, that it survives. That the, 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 the society survives too longer against external enemies, whatever, but then maybe the internal welfare is not as well. But you have less welfare. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's that, I think that was the most interesting thing. He says the same is true for moral philo- or like moral philosophers yeah. say the same is true for, um, for individuals. Mm-hmm. So kind of happiness can be achieved by conf- uh, conforming to the community standards. Okay. Yeah. Like, I, I don't get the point. <laughs> what does it mean? It's not, it's not an easy I don't point. get it. Um, the, oh, well, the, so, the, so, the so your internal welfare, your happiness. Yeah. Um, moral philosophers t- try to tell you that your happiness is greater when you are conforming to ah, the, the society okay, standards. Okay. They, they but really, like- really conforming to society standards only really increases the survival value like right. the survival for the society for right. the community but not necessarily your personal happiness so it's like yo man go join the military mm-hmm. yeah so they want you to believe that like you know being cannon fodder is like good for you it's kind of cool yeah it's and it's making you happy or yeah something. yeah they're going to give you a lot of compliments but really in the end you're like the cannon fodder that's that that's dead yeah yeah, yeah. so it wasn't really good for you Individually, yeah. yeah, yeah, and this reminded me very uh, much of Wanting, actually. The book Ooh, Wanting, Wanting we read by yeah. uh, by whom was it? Again? Luke Burgess. Luke Burgess. All right, <laughs> yeah, because I feel like it, it was like a, a central theme that um, you want what the people, people around want. you want. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, so it's very easy to tell people 
um, well, if you want exactly, or if you get exactly what everybody else around you has, mm -hmm. then you'll be happy. Then you'll be happy, okay. But really, this is just a derivation, or this is just... It's not your real desire. It's, like it's not your real desire, and it's just really just serves the survival value of the community. Mm -hmm. But this doesn't even mean that, that the community is really well off. It's just mm -hmm. surviving. It's just surviving. Being, but that doesn't mean that it's very good for the community. Yeah, or maybe it will be better let if alone it dies and the, new, yeah. the new community develops. Yeah. yeah. All right. Makes sense. Cool. Mm, you know, Paris says that it's socially beneficial that individuals believe that happiness can be achieved only by conforming to community standards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good for the community. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. But that's like... Yeah. Um, oh, and then that's very interesting. He... He talks a lot about this circulation of the elites. So he kind of builds on the whole elite theory. Okay, like all the Machiavellians yeah, really right. are very interested with elites. Yeah, the ruling class. Yeah, yeah. very concerned with elites. And um, there are, and he, he comes back to Machiavelli himself. So mm -hmm. he said that, that there's two types of ruling people. Mm -hmm. The class one um, are, and, and then he, he kind of connects this to the whole residues um, and derivation yeah. thing. So the class one are combination focused, kind yeah. of. So open to newness. Okay. So they are the foxes. Okay. And this co goes back to Machiavellian's foxes. Okay, you have the fox ruling people, and then you have the lions. The lion. And they are group. They were. They are kind of collectivist. Yeah, the, they are equal to the to the class two residues as well. The group persistences. Mm -hmm. So they are kind of. Um, you know, holding on to, like, they are resistant to change mm -hmm. as, as, um, focused on social solidarity. Mm -hmm. These are the lions. Mm -hmm. So you've got these two, and then he's, he's got this ideal kind of social equi um, equilibrium. Um, and it's best, according to Burrito, if, um, the active ruling class, the elite, mm -hmm. is made up of, um, of, uh, Foxes, mm -hmm. but also a fair part of lions in the ruling class, and then the non the ruled class mm -hmm. is made up mainly of lions. Okay, so the the ruled class should be like mostly like rednecks, mm -hmm. like you know, like regular military law-abiding citizens. But also some lions in the in the ruling class. But the the ruling class should have some lions too, because they are because essentially the lions are. I think because they are more ready to defend themselves, the ruling yeah, class. Yeah. If you've only got foxes. Foxes are like kind of pacifists. Yeah. They're like, they can't. They're like, too weak. They don't. They can't don't, defend. Yeah. yeah they're, they're, they can't defend the They don't elites. like, they yeah. don't really like bloodshed. And if you've got m many lions in the non-rule, in, in the ruled class, yeah. the class that it was ruled, then. You have a lot are, of cannon fodder, yeah, it's good. Yeah. And also they are. I mean, they are more prone to violence, kind of, but mm -hmm. um, they are less, you know, innovative. So they probably can't overthrow. Them. Think up. They a can't revolution. think up any revolution, and they don't yeah. have the skills. What if you have just only lions at the rule, the ruling class, and all the foxes are the ruled? Then you've got too many smart people in the ruled class, and they will over. If they are, if the elite is not open enough mm -hmm. for the foxes to come up to the and yeah. change the, the current elite. Yeah. Then they will overthrow you. By just being smarter. Yeah. And then you will have, I mean, then the lions will probably exert brute force. They will just start bullying the lions and like. 
convince them to step down. Yeah, was, oh, the lions will become violent if the foxes try to come up, like mm -hmm. if you try to, you know, mm -hmm. put up a revolution. But in the end, probably the revolution will prevail because there's still like a consistently great parts of lions in the ruled class as well. So the foxes in the ruled class will probably convince the lions in the ruled class that they All right. need so, to start yeah, a revolution. Yeah, of course, obviously, yeah. the ruled class always has the advantage of numbers. Mm -hmm, exactly. And you always have some mix of lions and foxes, and the foxes are smart enough to convince yeah. the lions to kill the other lions. Yeah. Okay, all right, I get it. Yeah, yeah so nice that's the social story, equi nice equilibrium. Yeah. That's the formula. All right, of. all right. Um, so, like, for the US system, it means... Yeah, well, I feel like the lions are clearly the conservatives, like the Republicans... Mm -hmm. Whereas the foxes are maybe Democrats. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Don't know how well that applies. Yeah. Well, f food for thought, anyway. Um, so yeah, that's essentially, that's, um, that's Pareto. Yeah. So he, yeah. And he, he kind of says that the openness of the elites is determining, is very determinant of the future of this, of society. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. If, if, if it, yeah. 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 It needs to be, again, it needs to be permeable because yeah. otherwise the society it's is going doomed. to be... It's doomed. It's doomed because it's static, it doesn't change. Yeah. You need innovation and progress. Yeah. And without like new, fresh people, foxes also, you can't progress. Yeah. The lions are not innovative. They're like more like defenders of the current order. Yeah. Whereas the foxes can actually do new stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Um... Yeah, so this is Pareto, essentially. And this right. also brings us to, to the final part of the book. Final part of the book? Yeah. So this just kind of sums up all the... This is actually pretty neat. It sums up all the... Or many um, essential parts of Machiavellism. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Essential statements. And then he also kind oh. of says what other... What criti critiques of, of this might say and why this is bullshit, though. All right. So it's quite a neat part. Um, there's lots of interesting stuff, but... Um, Let's go over some of them. The the best. Well, I the one thing I I think that was even after that part. And mm -hmm. um, the most interesting thing I thought was that um, one thing that Burnham said, like, and I think that was probably for, um, referred to the the time prior to World War One, like the, this classic Fin de siècle. He says that there are five conditions for a revolution were in place then. Mm -hmm. And essentially the, the first one is that technical, technological advances were, had brought about changes mm -hmm. that weren't dealt with yet ad no. adequately by in the ruling class. Way. Nobody really knew how to deal with these. That was the first, first condition. Second condition, the highest members of the ruling class retreated to, le to leisure and culture. Instead of taking part in economic and political life. Mm -hmm. So the old ruling class kind of chilling out. Yeah, mm -hmm, exactly. Um, then a third condition, the admission to capitalist ruling class was much more difficult. So the yeah. elite was very closed up. Yeah, you can't, fourth, you can't get rich. No. And, yeah, and the fourth was that the loss, that the elite also kind of lost their confidence in, in their mandate for ruling. Ah, they were like. Yeah, because the, because they weren't confident themselves. They were like, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah because they, this kind of myth of progress that had been like mm -hmm. been big throughout the 19th century was kind of fading. Okay. So they, the ruling class wasn't particularly confident in their own mandate to rule mm -hmm. anymore. Um, and finally, they were unwilling to use force. Unwilling to the defend elite. the elites. Yeah. 
Okay. And he he thinks he defines these five conditions right. for revolution. And I thought this was ex especially interesting because actually, if you look at it, I think you can find all of these conditions right now. Yeah. <gasps> What in Austrian politics or like in world politics? Um, I think in Western in many Western, Western societies. Western societies. Yeah, people don't are kind of nihilist. People don't want to have kids. They're like, future is gonna suck. Like yeah. Peter Thiel says, and the zero to one. Technological advances. Yeah, have they, come don't, up. they don't believe in progress. They they think the technological advances they are there, but they're maybe bad. Yeah, but nobody Thiel's really knows. Or many people don't really know what to. And especially, I think Peter Peter Thiel, for once, also um, accuses the the ruling class kind of. That they're not dealing with technological advances appropriately. Yeah, they're not employing. They're lagging them. behind. They're, they're lagging yeah. behind. Yeah, they're like yeah. So actually, I think all of the conditions that Burnham identified uh -huh. prior to World War One apply now as well. Yeah. So you're saying the ruling class is kind of anemic. Yeah, Could maybe. Be, yeah, kind of maybe. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I thought that was probably the most interesting passage of the whole, the whole book. The whole book, this one. All right. No, but it's it's interesting. Is it? It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. it is. Interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, but that's just, and this is and then he, he he goes on after this this bit he goes on to burn, burn, him, himself. burn himself now mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. um to kind of just stress once more that there's no such thing as self government. Okay, so yeah. self-government is fake, fake news. Makes no yeah. sense. So. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then you, you're gonna like this, and uh, you probably like this a lot. He, he talks about freedom, liberty, you know, juridical defense, whatever, the right to opposition. All right. This is, it's, all these things keep the ruling class open. Mm -hmm. And, provide much more freedom than before and they mm -hmm. are important for scientific progress for everything. Yeah, that's good. And what what's what is the opposite of this? It's concentrating power in the state in the state apparatus. So he he's very the much bureaucracy, yeah. Yeah, he is very much opposed to the state actually. Yeah. I think at the end yeah. at the end of the book it really it turns out that Burnham is making all these points because he's trying to He's very much opposed of the state. Yeah. The state being like super powerful. Because, yeah, he says that this destroys the, the, like, the basic of freedom is opposition and discussion. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, if economic strength is concentrated in the state apparatus, like in the Soviet Union, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It fails. Um, and, uh, yeah. That's a, he, I think he, in the end, it's a, it's a sharp warning. Mm -hmm. Don't concentrate the, the power in the in bureaucracy, the, in the bureaucracy, in the state, in the state itself. Yeah. Because this way, liberty gets lost. Yeah. Like, yeah. You've got, yeah. If one guy has all the power or like, you can't change it up. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But by the way, I feel like I disagree with the. Because he says in the book that it's impossible, like the self-government. Mm -hmm. But right now, like techno, technologically, hmm. with Modern. the smartphones and stuff, you could actually probably do like a direct democracy kind of thing. Yeah, this liquid democracy. Yeah, thing, I think it'd be horrible. Example, yeah. I think it wouldn't work at all. 
I feel like prediction markets are way better. Um, like, uh, yeah, like there's a, there's a futarchy, I think. Vitalik Buterin calls it futarchy. Mm-hmm. Or maybe like the Yudkowsky guy, where it's like a, like a society based on prediction markets. But actually, like right now, it doesn't, like he, Burn, Burnham didn't have any computers. Um, but yeah, I mean, throughout the book, it always comes up that many of the Machiavellians and Burnham himself, I think, also seem to think that, mm-hmm. or like, accept that there's always change coming about. And I think Mosca, it was Mosca who thought that, um, the parliamentary, parliamentarism mm-hmm. was actually coming to an end. Parliamentarism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The age of parliamentarism, parliament govern, parliamentary government was coming to an end. Well, which it wasn't. Which might... it did, well, in a way, it didn't actually. I think it was wrong. Moscow was wrong, obviously. But like in the, in the, I feel like in the US, like everybody always says that like the Congress is like super weak. Everybody like, don't, now nobody likes the Congress. It doesn't do anything really. Um, so I feel like, yeah, maybe like parliament isn't that strong. So yeah, maybe it's it's coming to an end now. And but what will be the next system? Like Moscow seems to think that there is going to be a superior system. Um, but it turns out I think maybe Churchill is right after all. Like what? famously saying, democracy is the worst kind of government, except every other. Except feudarchy. <laughs> or me being in power <laughs> sounds so good alright yeah hmm. so democracy has its weaknesses and the, but democracy the is not democracy there is no yeah, democracy the, the Machiavellians tell us that there's no real democracy but like the complicated kind of democracy that ends up in different kind of oligarchies that change it's still I feel like that's like, like changing for, a circulation yeah. of elites it's a circulation maybe like, this is yeah. what this is the, the this is what kind of Makes democracy special. Yeah, yeah. But as opposed like to if, other, maybe if as Trump opposed just, to monarchy, for example. just fired all the all the bureaucrats, you know, which is what well, I would. Trump do. can't fire anybody right now, thank God, because he's not. But yeah, I feel like you need to change things up a little. Yeah, this. And, uh, yeah. Or maybe like close some agencies, just like you know, close the Food and Drug Administration. Or like some kind no, I don't of know if that's a mini- idea, the Austrian but... mi- Ministry of Justice. Just close it. Just close it. Lock the door. <laughs> Fire everybody and start. Get a fresh start. Lock the door. Yeah. What happens then? Like would be interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely democracy has its pitfalls because it's not. It doesn't work the way people think it works. Mm-hmm. Because there's always an oligarchy. An, an oligarchy. Mm-hmm. But um, if you if you manage to keep the elite circulating and healthy and, healthy and, good, and open, or the good elite, maybe like yeah, smart people, then and like also other forces, like checks and balances. Yeah, you know other social powers that have power. Then that makes you then, but then that this makes you strong as a society. But it gives you freedom. It, yeah, it gives you because it gives you freedom. Yeah, but it makes you. Um, it makes you. Weaker to external enemies, actually. Oh yeah, yeah, could be. Which yeah. is true. I mean, I think it turned out that Hitler was kind of was at, at, for a very long time quite robust to external mm-hmm. enemies, not indefinitely, as it turned out. But for yeah, a, yeah, like it had a big military strength. Yeah, yeah. Like was France a democracy at that time? Um, but I went, there was this Vichy regime at some point. Yeah, but, that, but then that's, I think that, that Hitler was, put that in place, though. 
Oh, right. So then. What it, was before that? Wasn't that. Who was the guy? Was it um, De Gaulle? Or was, was he, he in after? Power? No. Who is the French president? He, I think he was just like. I don't know. Later. Maybe he was later. I De think he was later. Maybe he was like a general. I don't know. Or like government in exile kind of stuff. Mm. Anyway, he says like checks and balances increase your freedom and it's good and maybe you have more progress. Yeah. Because power doesn't concentrate in one branch of government. Yeah. Never have the power concentrate in the state apparatus. That's like, not a good idea. Yes, yes. Like the bureaucracy and stuff. But maybe like a China, which is like more autocratic, can like put all its power without no, no checks, no balances, all its power in military and it will be super strong then. Mm-hmm. And it's true. I mean, China is, might not be the most democratic place in the world, but it's probably very, very robust towards external enemies. Yeah. But I think that's also because, because if you are, I, I think if you China are in just autocracy, has a good economic system with the whole, they are like pretty capitalist. Yeah. Um, but I think that this might actually bring us back to other books like Wanting and the whole mm -hmm. Shira theory that if you are, an unfree society, then this is one of the political formulas that you have to apply that you actually make or define external enemies mm -hmm. very clearly. Define. Define them. Who are they? Yeah, you need to find them and define very clearly who they are. So this strengthens your kind of oppressed people against some external enemies. All right. I think this is a, also like parts of the political formula that you need to apply if you are in an, a dictatorship, if you're trying to... Have like some kind of external enemy. Yeah, have that's some the, like propaganda. The rule, number, rule number one, okay. find a scapegoat and the, find an external enemy. All right. Yeah, that's a good... Makes sense. Yeah. So are we at this part already? Yeah, I think we are... That's it, right? Yeah, that's it, so basically. Let's, let's compare it to, to other books that, that we've uh, reviewed in the podcast already. Mm-hmm. So let's just say something about each book. First one, Scout Mindset. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, the Machiavellians are really Scout Mindset, right? Um, yes, I think Machiavelli himself, like Was applying this kind of, thing, yeah. trying to be scientific about politics yeah, yeah. and not, but actually, and this is also very interesting. Some people say that's because he was actually acquainted with Leonardo da Vinci. All right. Is that interesting? I think so. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay. Who was also like famous for applying or who, who was inventing this empirical method. Yeah. Like, yeah. Who's like starting the enlightenment kind of, you know. Yeah. yeah. Some people think stuff. that Machiavelli yeah. also used this method, scientific also, method. Machiavelli was, was uh, really cynical with regards to religion. For him, it was just like a virtue signaling thing. Yeah. Like a means. It's not real. Yeah. It's for like a, power. A means for like, yeah. Yeah. Increasing your status. But in that way, it's important. It's important for the ruler it's useful, to yeah. kind of speak to the to the, the religious side of the, yeah, in the masses. Yeah, that's yeah. Like the opiate of the masses. Useless. Yeah. yeah. So, what was the second book we had in the podcast? Um, was it wanting? I think it was wanting. No. Right. Yeah. Or zero to one. Or zero to one. Whatever. One thing we just talked about. Mm -hmm. um, zero to one. Is maybe with this current society being anemic. Um, also like... The technological, yeah. Also techn technological, yeah. Maybe what Burnham says, that like also the conditions for like a further sexual, a decadent society. Decadent. And I think P Peter Thiel would definitely agree that 
current society is decadent okay, in a way it's, it's about with, to fall. Yeah, it's not dealing with the most important problems, which are like um, artificial life extension. Artificial intelligence, yeah. the singularity kind of thing. Oh, yeah, but mostly like ending aging and stuff. But they're instead dealing with like woke bullshit or like climate change, which is like, which is like not a real big problem. According to him, at least, yeah. yeah. Um, so in a way, Peter Thiel is maybe a bit Machiavellian as well. Is he? Well, I think he would definitely agree that the state must be contained as well yeah. as possible because the state is a, is kind of can, might be dangerous to freedom. Yeah, definitely. You need to have a state that, you know... The state might, must be contained and must be controlled. You need to remove the red tape. It needs to be... But there's also this... Um, Peter Thiel sometimes says this saying, um, the purpose of the state is to contain violence. And, you know, there are like these two meanings of the sentence, like contain violence yeah, in the sense that, in like... That it, apply, it, it enforces, it uses violence, it the state uses, itself, yeah, it has, it, or actually it avoids violence. Yeah, by, like, yeah. keeping it checked. At bay. And, yeah, mm -hmm. at bay, yeah, keeping it at bay. Yeah. Hmm. So, I guess... Is but Peter, Peter Thiel, Thiel Machiavellian? I don't know. I, th I think Peter Thiel might be, like, sincerely patriotic. Like, I feel like he kind of really likes the US or how it used to be in the 60s when they went to the moon. He wants to get that U.S. back, I feel like. But on the other hand, he's like the citizen of New Zealand, I think. He got the citizenship there with just a bunch of money. Hmm. Ah, Thiel. What an interesting character. But also, like, if you, like, thinking about the, like, maybe this whole, the whole spiel about the great U.S. Mm -hmm. is also a derivation. Yeah, you're saying it might be. You need be... to be careful yeah what what is the real meaning behind this what's it's yeah, all just it, propaganda as well you like, feel like it might be for him just a way to gain power for peter Thiel? yeah or no maybe he was also he's uh, he's kind of maybe he's fooled by the derivation all right i don't think so actually i feel like he's um he's cool yeah but i feel like the peter derivations Thiel, you know, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't need any more power he's a billionaire I feel like what he wants is like keep China at bay. Maybe mm -hmm. like this whole China conflict is a thing, but also, um, also the whole, he's like super libertarian. He likes the cryptocurrency. He doesn't like the artificial intelligence, which is like communist. He says AI is communist and he, he wants to like tackle the big problems, you know, which are ending aging and that like ending human aging. And like, you know, yeah, artificial intelligence, general intelligence, which you could do. Like the US, the, 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 like they went to the moon and, you know, they built, they invented all this crazy stuff. Now they don't invent anything substantial anymore, it seems. And maybe he wants to get back to that and use the power of the, of the state to end aging. I think and maybe solve some he real just wants problems. to earn more money for himself. I think that's his no, I think, goal. Like, come on, like if you're like a, like a multi-billionaire or like a billionaire, Like, what do you need more money for? Well, I, I feel like if he could, he would solve aging, but it's, it's hard. Like, even a billion doesn't, doesn't, uh, is not enough to solve. Exactly. Aging. So he just wants to make more and more money. And I think he. For what purpose? Yeah. He, he might be trying to solve aging or something, but then in the end, he will be like, well, if I've got more money, that's fine as well. I still yes, think his main, but I feel like he's, he doesn't want to look that way. But I think he wants real progress, like not not fake progress, making more money, like fake like progress, everybody. which is about like your 
pronouns that you use on your Slack, but he wants to do like, yeah, like solve these problems. Well, I don't know. Let's not talk about pedophilia. Why not? Be well, because the, like then we we can read the contra contrarian and then we can talk about him. But I think it's like. All right. Who's the which is which was the next book? Mm, was it the was it Nietzsche? All right, Nietzsche is there. Nietzsche is there, definitely. There was something else there. So what does Nietzsche say? Well, there's the will to power, which you talked about. The will to? Will to, yeah. Like the like just being high energy, doing stuff, not anemic, yeah. like the fin de siècle. People. People, yeah. well, like mm -hmm. low energy, just like hanging around, playing video games. Kind of being... Losers, yeah. Melancholic. Melancholic, you know, sitting at home, mm -hmm. watching Netflix. Um, and I think also power. Nietzsche's got this kind of... Sometimes he's just got this um this tendency for violence. Like Yeah, yeah, he's, he's just like yeah. Pro violence in a way. I guess so, yeah. So that's also Machiavellian. Nietzsche way. is like also I feel like Nietzsche is like individualistic. Like it's like the individual against the stupid masses. You have the dumb masses who want to drag you down, but the the Ubermensch he can just like shrug it off and Is it true? Does yeah, he have, I yeah. think he has vibes like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. The Ubermensch is definitely a leader type of guy. Yeah, he's like a leader. He's like the ruling kind of... But he's also better. He's like of a better... He's like a better human being. Yeah, yeah. Than the others. And I don't know if the, if the Uberman is actually allowing much circulation within the elite. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, maybe the, the Uber, Uberman the is... The Ubermensch like, is more of a dictator. Yeah, but maybe oh. he's like, let's get some other Ubermensch mansion. <laughs> get them all together <laughs> or maybe he's like my family is also is only only my family are the Ubermensch yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who knows um, but like but what was the he, other but Nietzsche is also like about defining your own values and stuff but I feel like Nietzsche is also kind of contrarian he's like anti society he's like God is dead I make my own values now you know the Ubermensch makes his own yeah, values yeah yeah mm -hmm. uh. All right, is that is that it with Nietzsche? I think so. Yeah. Next one. What else? I think we've forgotten one book. Yeah, we have. Um, we've forgotten one book. Well, there was the... We got zero to one. We got one thing. We got Scott Mindset. Um, Nietzsche. I think there were five books. I don't... Atomic Habits. Right. That's a, wow, that's a big stretch. All right, that's hard. Like, But we can, we can confabulate something. Yeah. Like we can derive something. Yeah. Make a derivation. <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. Atomic <laughs> habits. Mm. You are what you do, kind of. You know what you do regularly. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of hard to find. Yeah, it. they deal with very different because I think I feel like the atomic habits is pretty apolitical. Yeah, definitely. And Machiavelli is a pure political, pure politics. Mm, yeah, yeah. Also, atomic habits is what yeah you do regularly, right? It's more focused on everyday life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And less on, on less on the, like the big the history, uh, events in history and and. It's about how you improve yourself. Yeah. And. Uh, but can't we do like a good connection like there? Can't we? I'm unsatisfied with, with our atomic habits uh, connection we just made to, the Machiavellians. Isn't there something better? I feel like the Machiavellians. Like being Machiavellian might also be like about shortcuts, you know, take the path of least resistance. Whereas Atomic Habits is more like about going the honest way, you know, just 
habitually train the thing, be better at it, and then do the stuff, right? Well, yeah. I don't know. I'm not convinced. I think, but I think it doesn't matter. Like, there doesn't need to be a connection between everything. Okay, we're going to sit here until we find a connection. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it. All right, fine. I did. I had a nice one with, okay. uh, with the whole. <laughs> Great. Bravo. Bravo. That's, that's me. Bravo. You're welcome. <laughs> well connected. All right, then. I think just have a quick, like, summary of the book or, like, answer the big question. Was it Rand or was it Weck? Yeah, definitely Rad, right? It's a Rad book. Pretty um, radical. Yeah, yeah. I think, but it's also very dense and very complex. Was it too complex for you? All right. No, but I think we, I don't, you, you and me both didn't grasp all the aspects and all, all right. the facets. I think. Nah, but I feel like he's like a real. I feel like the the whole mimesis stuff was way more complicated but from G Girard. Yeah, I mean, and but the, like this, the he's, he's, he's a clear, he's a clear writer. He yeah. writes like there's no bullshit. Yeah, it's very entertaining. It's real to read talk. As well. Yeah, yeah. It's very entertaining as well. Yeah, because because you feel like there are no not like because sometimes you read something and you know oh this is like a confabulation this is just like word salad but with him it's not word salad it's yeah. real, right? Also, also the the whole theory of elites is very. Yeah, it's very, it's I'm, very interesting. It's I'm very, really convinced cool. by that, actually. Yeah, and it, but it, but but it's because it's very, it's easy to understand as well. Yeah, yeah, it's easy. It's because it's it makes sense theory. if you think about it. Makes, it sense makes sense that there's always like look around. There's leadership everywhere. Yeah, if you think for yourself. Yeah, exactly. So you need to take a good look at the leaders yeah. and e examine all, them. Examine them. For me, it's so mind blowing that you know all companies are super hierarchic hierarchically structured. You know, which is like, for me, it was a small mind blow that like, wow, why aren't these things, if democracy is so great, why aren't these things democratic? But I think that's the wrong question. I think actually it's not that, like, there's no, I think the really, the real mind blowing thing is that there's just no such thing as democracy in the way that it's portrayed. Yeah, that's true. That's, a, that's the real wrong. mind blowing thing. I don't th think. Mine is also very wrong. <laughs> Well, if it's mind blow for you're you, you're not real. You're not real. <laughs> um, yeah, so definitely rad, radical, and yeah. radical ideas as well. Yeah, radical, good idea. And I think it's it's impressive that it's written 80 years ago. Yeah, and it's still so so good. Yeah, and still very. Um... We forgot Taleb. We forgot the Taleb <gasps> one. Anti-fragile. We Whoa, forgot it. God, we had six we... books, or yeah, yeah, we forgot it. But I, with my big brain, I remembered it. And Taleb says there's this Lindy effect by Taleb, you know? Like, old things are more likely to, to survive. The longer it's survived yeah, already, yeah. the longer it's going to survive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a nice heuristic or like... And I feel wow, like this book like, is 80 years old already. And... Um, but the Machiavellism is like 400 years yeah, old. Yeah, Machiavellism is even older. But like the, the book, the Machiavellians is like... I feel, I feel like it will stay relevant. Unlike like a book that was released last year, which probably won't, mm -hmm. which will be irrelevant in five years, probably like a newspaper, newspaper is completely irrelevant next week. But this, um, this has like some principled, some really, um, yeah, basic things. Yeah. And also the, the, like how Perito, um, portrays the, the perfect kind of, um, the perfect elite 
that's stable and that's going to be i think this is like a very anti-fragile elite that yeah 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 that's, that's kind of acting like it's it's subject to change and it changes there's tiny changes the whole time mm -hmm. it's not static and it's not it's not um so like, it's not artificially st static yes it needs to be open it and changing have, like, like tiny changes the whole time progress yeah, yeah because exactly. then it's anti-fragile yeah 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 there's also the saying you know physics progresses like one death at a time because mm -hmm. like you need these old people to go away otherwise new ideas can't come in and yeah in that sense it's like an anti-fragile an anti-fragile ruling class will survive yeah if yeah it permits new members that are good they're smart competent yeah. and if it stays closed, lots of different characters it will suffocate yeah in the ruling class that yeah, are yeah, so. able to act on change exactly rapidly yep. nice that was an easy connection to make easy game easy game gg thank you that's it thank you very much bye <laughs> bye